Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com and I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me are Benno and Jamesy and um, I just had to blow the dust off my microphone then because it's, uh, <laughs> it's been about a month since we last recorded uh, together. I mean, obviously fantastic review of the NXT UK TakeOver show, really enjoyed that. Uh, Christmas has been and gone, I've been to Japan and back. Um, how have you guys been? Um, obviously, huge thanks to you guys for uh, the fantastic review of the Takeover UK show, and um, obviously, huge thanks to uh, JP and Joe for stepping in there. Yeah, been great, thanks, Martin. Uh, you were definitely missed uh, on that show uh, doing the NXT UK review. I'm sure you could tell we uh, we all got a lot of demons out on that one and got to, uh, <laughs> got to have a, a bit of a rant. But also, you know, we're balanced people. We pointed out some of the, the good in that show as well. Uh, but yeah, I've been well, just kind of getting back into the swing of things, back in work and stuff. Started booking a couple of trips for later in the year, but my flights for WXW this weekend. Uh, yeah, never really stops. Really, feels like that uh, that Christmas break never happened at this point. Oh, well, now I can't believe we're nearly into February already. It's like, <laughs> you know, you're getting old when you're constantly going on about, well, that went quick, didn't it? And blah, 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 <laughs> everything seems to drag when you're a teenager, doesn't it? When you've got school uh, and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, um, just wanted to say, like, I had an absolutely fantastic time in Japan. Uh, obviously, huge thanks to WH Park, the king of Tokyo, for being, you know, a fantastic guy, ticket getter and all around top bloke to hang around with and obviously it was great hanging around with uh, John and Way and then um, all, all the friends that they recruited over the time and yeah it was just a brilliant time Rivera Steakhouse four shows Wrestle Kingdom I mean I know um, it's been a bit controversial saying which was your favorite Okada match of the weekend but I've got to say <laughs> watching Okada Ibushi live I was just like because the jet lag didn't really affect me until like a couple of days in there and then sort of like midway through the Wrestle Kingdom show before Hiromu and Will Ospreay. You know, I wasn't, I'm not going to say I was dozing or anything, but I was starting to feel the, the jet lag hitting me. Then, um, you know, Hiromu and uh, Ospreay woke me up and then that final match, I was like, whoa. I was like, this is why you come over to Japan for these wrestling shows because what a brilliant match that was and easily in my top three matches I've ever seen live. It was absolutely fantastic. I was going to ask you, Martin, what's because I've heard a few people who kind of some of the experienced heads who, who go to Japan a lot for shows and that kind of thing. What's the Tokyo Dome itself actually like as a venue for watching wrestling in? Because I've heard it's quite big and almost it's cavernous and kind of the, the sound gets lost or anything like that. So what was your impression of it as a venue? Yeah, it's a weird one because obviously I've been to a couple of WrestleMania, so I'm used to that sort of stadium. Yeah, OK, show, yeah, yeah. Uh, atmosphere and everything. But um, I didn't mind it, really. I mean, we were on sort of like... Um, the the first tier, um, you know, I, I don't know the baseball terminology for it because obviously it's used mainly as a baseball ground. But yeah, we were um, we obviously not on the floor seats. We're on the first tier behind that, and there's obviously a huge gap between the uh, floor seats and the tier. So that was a bit um, weird when you first sit down. But um, yeah, we had a great view of the ring, and then obviously there's a huge screen in front of it. So I guess you kind of expect to be watching, you know, in these stadium shows, you expect to be watching the intricate parts of the match on the big screen. And the atmosphere was fine when the crowd were up. I really felt it, you know, like everyone clapping for Liger on the second day and things like that. So I really didn't mind it, but I can see why other people might not like it, especially when we went to the Noah show at Karakan Hawks. Obviously, that's a brilliant venue, and you're steeped in history, but also it's one of the most comfortable places I've ever watched wrestling. You know, really... Nice seats, really great views, and um, yeah, so I can see why people sort of like prefer those sort of style of venues to uh, your big dome shows, but I didn't really mind it myself. 
I was going to ask about Osprey as well. Like, did you get a sense of how much of a star he is in Japan? Like, from from the reception he was getting from people, or is it is it obvious? Like, when he comes out, that he's a big deal over there, or? Um, yeah, I suppose compared to the homegrown Japanese stars, I don't suppose he's that much. He's not that big of a deal. But yeah, he got a really good ovation when he came out. But I'm not saying like a sorry, a few young Japanese kids wearing Osprey shirts. But as far as like you know merch and things like that go, it's completely dominated by. Uh, from what I could see, uh, a lot of middle-aged women wearing Jay White t-shirts and baseball caps. <laughs> and, uh, obviously, all the Lij stuff. <laughs> oh, I'll tell that to Rev Joe. He'll, he'll love it. <laughs> so it's, it, it's me and the middle-aged women that are Jay White fans, basically. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> I mean oh, the, wow. the, the middle-aged women demographic. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, the push is working, though. There you go. Credit to there you go. Knows what he's They're doing. They're booking him for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard that before that like Lij. Jay, like the that's the merch you see everywhere and like Okada despite being the biggest star you don't really see much Okada stuff you don't really see much chaos stuff is that kind of your your take on it yeah yeah because obviously a lot of the Okada merch is not that great is it really yeah Jay stuff looks a lot better so yeah it was no bullet club that was the most that. you know dominant sort of uh, didn't see any bullet club stuff hardly at all, <laughs> on some of wow. the western fans <laughs> um, yeah and then I sat, next, like? sat next to a guy wearing a progress hoodie as well when um, on the second oh, night, I think the... as well nice no. guy though nice guy I don't believe me for wearing that hoodie Did was he a local no no I'm, I'm not sure I think he was from the UK he was saying that um, it was oh, really okay. hard for him being a vegetarian and uh, trying to order food and things like that in Japan as well I don't think necessarily that they don't do that much vegetarian food but he was mm. trying to find the places that served it sort of thing was becoming quite difficult for him but yeah, yeah like yeah but definitely LIJ merch everywhere and um, I mean we also went to that Tudacon shop which is obviously really famous for having tons and tons of wrestling merch and that was quite overwhelming so it's just programs galore DVDs galore Masks. I think they had because obviously Liger's retirement. They had virtually every Liger mask that he's ever worn on sale in there and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was. And because there's hardly much room to maneuver around it, so like you kind of like going, oh, I want to check this out. But then there's like three other people down the thing, so you kind of maneuver <laughs> around to another one. Yeah, and just went to this other wrestling shop that was like really tiny, but that had loads of stuff in it as well. So. Yeah, it's great just going around to all these little wrestling shops that um, are selling, you know, and they've got stuff from like, so one that had a wing t-shirt and that looked like an original one. So that must be going all the way back to like 1993 or whatever. So yeah, it was really good. Just how they keep everything, you know what I mean? Like shops over here will chuck things out. We don't have many sort of like second-hand shops for for like nostalgia things like that. But it's just interesting to see they had like videotapes from like the late 80s and things like that. So they just literally keep everything. So... Yeah, yeah. So sure. I'd highly recommend anybody to go. I mean, it was yes. uh, the food was incredible. I mean, eating something completely different every night, and uh, absolutely loved it so much that uh, me and my wife had booked back to go in October just as the uh, G1 final sitting, and then heading over to Osaka as well for a couple of things over there. So yeah, going wow. twice in one year. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we didn't spend enough time this time. You know what I mean? So, mm. and it's not actually that expensive. It's probably about the same price we'd pay to go to America as well. Yeah, I was going to ask that about price, like for for the Europeans thinking of doing it, like me. It's something I've always wanted to do. James, you've been to Japan before, haven't you, in general, but not for not for wrestling, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I was in Japan in two thousand and eight, and it was just a kind of a stop off flight on my way to Australia. So I think we were there for, I think it was four nights. And the friend I was with, number one, had little or no interest in wrestling, and number two, you know the way nowadays 
it's so easy to get information on wrestling. Like you just have mm. to log on to Twitter and there's about five or six on my timeline anyway, hardcore fans who are who are kind of who are in Japan maybe three or four times a year who can tell you the details of the smallest show and the smallest venue, uh, you know, of any show that's going on. Back then, I had like there were no resources like that available to people. You know what I mean? Uh, going mm. to Japan for wrestling was kind of a, an unheard of thing almost. And like to be honest, back in two thousand and eight, it was basically a drinking holiday. So like I remember, <laughs> and it coincided with Patrick's Day as well. That was the other thing. So you can imagine oh. two two Paddy, and there was a Paddy's Day parade in Tokyo as well. So you can imagine two Paddies arriving over into into Japan. And one of my big regrets is not making more of an effort to kind of seek out wrestling. We did go to the Tokyo dome and i did get to see a few posters in the foyer of the tokyo dome but that was about as close to seeing wrestling or or seeing anything wrestling based and it's always something i regretted but it's a it's a wrong that i very much plan to write at some point in the future once once my kids are old enough to get on a plane and go over there i think we might have to plan a family holiday to japan and definitely some wrestling will be getting watched this time i'd be looking to you to give me some some uh some tips martin I completely forgot to mention the Noah show I went to as well. That had um, Doug Williams and uh, Chris Ridgway on the same team, and they were—I think it was eight-man tag—and then they were facing off against uh, the Great Muta. So it was interesting seeing um, him and Doug <laughs> wow. uh, have a little tussle. You know, obviously they you know bit five minutes and that. And uh, um, Ridgway seemed to be sort of like gaining some sort of traction over there. It, you know, seemed to be a bit of interest in him when he he was in there doing like I mean, and those kicks you could hear like you know echoing throughout the hall and everything. So yeah, wow, see yeah. two of the brick guys there. And then um, I think John and Way, uh, John and WH were telling me about um, Lucas Steele had debuted on the Old Japan show. The day that's before, right, yeah, yeah which is uh, came out of left field. So obviously he's like NGW, and I think he's appeared for a mm-hmm. few other Northern promotions. So interesting to see that he's yeah. like doing tours of Old Japan now. I suppose he's got the look that they're after over there. Oh yeah, he looks like a bit like Mike Horse, yeah. doesn't he, with the uh, <laughs> the mulleted hairstyle and everything. So yeah. Interesting that he was, oh, and uh, was it Danny Jones as well they were all asking me about as well, because yeah, I think he was all over the old Japan show as well. So interesting to see that, like, Brits that, you know, maybe we don't talk about a great deal or at all are uh, sort of making a bit of headway in some of the small promotions in Japan as well. Oh, definitely. Like, Lu- Lucas Steele's one, like, I wrote the one to watch thing about him in Fighting Spirit Bag, and when I was tasked with it, I... You know, I knew the name, and that was about it. And I did a bit of research on him. Obviously, works North, works NGW, wound up doing WrestleGate as well, which I think was his kind of his pathway through to to get into Japan. But like, yeah, the tapes I watched of him is just you're right, Mike Awesome crossing with Davy Boy Smith. I think that's what that's what you if you picture that image <laughs> in your head, I think you end up with with Lucas Steele. But like, I think it was described to me that maybe he got it with the not the wrong crowd, but not the trendy crowd. He's in with the you know the Nathan Nathan Cruz lot doing yeah. like. The, the Alex Shane bookings and doing the camps and learning that way, which is kind of not the you know the hip way that we all uh, us hip kids will talk about on these types of podcasts. But it does make you a you know a top pro, as most of those guys would probably say. So probably shouldn't be a surprise he's out there. Yeah, from the port I heard, it sounds like he was killing it. Uh, he's a big lad as well, so I could see him fitting in really really well in the Japanese scene. Yeah, definitely like a it's... monster heel in you know in that style of sort of like the old school guys from the eighties and nineties can see him fitting in well there. Definitely, mm. it's it's going to be an interesting thing for us as as a kind of a, a European and a UK podcast kind of to, to keep an eye on Japan. I think in twenty twenty because. Like it's almost as if more and more wrestlers are looking to go there to kind of gain experience and to improve rather than staying in the UK. Like if you think about the list of people 
in the last while who've been over there or who are planning to go over there in the next few months. Like obviously you've got Chris Brooks has decided he's going to go there for, 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 for most of the year. Drew Parker has been doing really well in big Japan by all accounts. Medusa complex are over and back the whole time. Um, who else was there? there was was it Martin Kirby was in Dragon Gate there towards yeah, the end yeah, of last he's year? he's gone back as well. I think he was over in Dragon yeah. Gate for about three months and, and I, then he's gone back for another tour again. I, yeah, I saw Lena Austin there. It was announced on the last Pro Wrestling Eve show that she's going to do two weeks in Japan. Uh, we've had Martina uh, has has done two good stints in Japan in 2019. Yeah, yeah, so the uh, Stardom show I went to, Martina. Yeah, yeah. So we're, I think basically we're going to have to enlist WH Park as, as as our fourth kind of man on this podcast, <laughs> and he, he can he can be our, our roving up. reporter in Japan uh, because like the, the, the way some of these British rest shows are going, we won't want to talk about them. Maybe we'll just have to start talking about Japanese wrestling the whole time. It was funny with Martina on that Stardom show because the Stardom show was in um, I can't remember what it's called now, but in like a warehousing venue in in Tokyo, and it's one of the warehouses is just used for wrestling. I imagine it's a lot what like Fight Club Pro use in Wolverhampton, like just a big old warehouse for wrestling so really great venue and um but it seemed martina on there because obviously she does all the drinking and party gimmick over here doesn't she but it seemed mm. like she'd ramped it up even more there and seemed even more cartoony than she than she normally is because i know since she's uh sort of like come back from a few trips to japan she's taken on uh, miko setamura last year and stuff and she really working on a, a ring ring rather than just you know relying on the character and then seeing her in japan it was just all about the character and being as cartoony as possible for uh sort of like the japanese audience so that was interesting obviously jamie hater and uh b priestler on that show as well and yeah they had a really good time i was a then you know not the biggest stardom fan in the world so i didn't really know what to expect but a really good show i think it was two hours no interval it went like a, a breeze sort of thing and and I think I noted that um, I think WH and John were talking about it that a lot of these smaller shows are selling out as well, despite you know going up against the sort of bigger uh, New Japan shows. So and there were tons of like sort of like Western fans there as well. So it seems to be coming uh, much like WrestleMania. It's like that destination for a lot of uh, British and Americans and Europeans going out there for uh, for the Fourth of January show. Yeah, I think that's going to be the big thing, really. It's kind of like, I wondered myself, like, it's a trip I always want to make. I've always wanted to make. I would never left it too late. Has it become like, you know, when it's become like Mania Weekend, maybe too many Westerners traveling over? Is it kind of, because did they sit you all together in the in the Tokyo Dome as well? Is that the thing? Yeah. They put all like yeah, the, the, the outside yeah, orders together? There were a few Japanese people scattered around, but it was mainly like <laughs> all the Western fans sat in one area. All oh, right, but we've not ruined it yet. There's not like big guys. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Those I, are I British lads. Think about people leaving a load of rubbish on the floor um, in oh, the stadium, nice. and um, obviously in Japan you pick all your rubbish up and put it in the trash bag. It's not like stadiums over here where you just fucking leave shit everywhere. Sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think yeah, that went down very well. But also another yeah. thing, um, yeah, forget the concessions because every venue allows you to just take a big bag of cans in. So that was another. Another plus, just go over to the <laughs> local supermarket, buy a six-pack, and then, then you're in there. Oh, we need to get that sort of, get our uh, our undergraps correspondent, Andy Ogden. He'd never uh, he'd never oh, be able to stand again, I don't think, if you could take beer and uh, <laughs> sing with uh, with our mate Will, too. Maybe that's a bad idea for Brit Res. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, when when the Irish start going, they'll stop doing that. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll be the good. end of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, 
what you're saying though, Martin, is we haven't missed the boat yet. It's still a, it's still well worth a, a trip. Is is it affordable? Like, would you say it costs yeah, a lot? Yeah, I'd say um, obviously I don't know about one and a half grand for two of us to go over there in hotels for like ten nights, uh, which ah. is probably what you'd spend to go to America. And then everything. I mean, we came back with loads. We thought we'd end up spending loads of money, and then ended up coming back with loads because everything's so cheap and like the food's amazing, and you get like um, a, you know. To say the food's um, really, really good, you know, it's quite cheap in price. And then, you know, there's convenience stores everywhere and you can just go and buy it. And, like, obviously not spending on the concessions when you go into these big shows is, um, you know, saves a ton of money as well. So, yeah, definitely when you get out there, spending money is, like, you, you can get far with uh, quite a little. So I'd definitely say it's affordable. Awesome. Yeah, def- definitely something I'm planning on doing. Maybe we can uh, do, do a British Rust experience, grapple trip. Oh, maybe a bit soon, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. You've, you've made a good case for it, though. Right. Anyway, shall we uh, talk about some uh, move on to some European wrestling? Uh, I think because we're going to go with a bit of a different formula this year. We're definitely doing a different type of show this week. Uh, we've been we're going to be toying around with it this year rather than have most of the shows be reviews and news. We're going to try and condense that all into one show each month, sort of similar to what John and Wade do on the Post Puro show and. And then our other show of the month, you know, be an interview, a deep dive into a, a big show or something completely different. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. And, uh, yeah, so so this week, we're, you know, with it being a new decade, we thought we'd take a look back at the past 10 years in European wrestling. Uh, I mean, at the start of the decade, there were only a handful of promotions running every three months or so. Uh, but now it seems you can watch some kind of wrestling every week. I mean, there have been... Tons and tons of memorable moments and matches for uh, from a number of European promotions over the decade, and uh, and we're just going to look back at some of our favourites. And just to add a disclaimer to this, it's not supposed to be an exhaustive, definitive guide to everything. You know, there'll be tons of stuff we miss. This is just our personal memories and moments that uh, made the decade so memorable. And uh, I mean, just before we got into it, I wanted to ask you, your guys, your first experience of uh, or memories of European wrestling. So, so it seems everyone in the UK has got a you know, they've got a similar story about when they first started watching wrestling. I mean, I think depending on your age, it was either early 90s WWF or, or later in the 90s Attitude Era on Sky TV. I mean, I've even got vague memories of watching the dying days of World of Sport on ITV while I was waiting for Airwolf or Knight Rider or something like that to come on. But I, I suppose this is more about when you first started realizing Euro wrestling wasn't just WWF tribute shows at your local leisure center. I mean, Benno, what are your... What were your sort of first experiences of British wrestling shows that you went to? Well, I'm going to make There's nothing wrong with it, with a good old-fashioned tribute show at your local legacy. The Legend of Doom. Oh, the Legend of Doom. Yeah, he was always around. The, the Undertaker 2 was a big one. Where, uh, <laughs> Thanks for getting around the well, Wasn't there a rock guy at some point? I'm sure I saw a, a, a poster in Robintown Centre. The yeah. There was some kind of rock and stone cold uh, tribute as well. Yeah, it'd be like, Mike Smith is the rock. And then, like, some lad in a ball cap being Steve Austin, then doing double duty and being Kane at the end of the night. So it was always a Kane, wasn't there? Yeah. Kane <laughs> was always Kane. You can get away with Kane fairly easily. Like, <laughs> get that mask cheap, put some gloves on. You saw it. Undertaker again. Yeah, another one. Like, that, that fake Undertaker was getting work on all star shows into this decade, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Never mind, but yeah, the one before it. Power but, Ranger as well, speaking of oh, all star. Yeah. Power Ranger was on everything, wasn't that's like it. And just the one. Power Rangers have been cool. <laughs> yeah, and it was never like a group of them, was it? It wasn't a stable. It was just one guy, the Power Ranger. 
Um, I'd like to say those shows are dead, but I went that Sabu show I went to uh, in Bootle Ledger Center that EPW put on about two years ago. Like Sabu was on it, but they also had like a lad work in the opener in like a full Super Dragon costume. But he wasn't called Super Dragon; <laughs> he just had some other name. And then in the second match, another lad came out. I say another lad looked suspiciously very sweaty, like he'd just been wearing an entire bodysuit the previous match, and then worked the second match, and I'm pretty sure he worked the main events as well. So, you know, the uh, the old work's still the new work. It's still uh, still possible to do those shows. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, for me, like, I was aware of those shows going on. I went to a, an, an all-star show in the mid-2000s that I had um, Daniel Bryan on as uh, as the American Dragon, talking about masks. He had the full mask on uh, and did the show. I saw Colt Cabana on one of those shows as well, uh, like, in the late 2000s. I think my story's a little bit different because, obviously, I trained with GPW in 2006 and 2007, and... Uh, through that kind of went to their shows i've been going to future shock shows in the in the 2000s themselves as well obviously was aware of the likes of one pw uh obviously always uh prevalent when you talk uh the early days and the uh, the mid days of, of brit res but yeah i think that i think that that's kind of the story for me getting into it but like the early early tens i suppose that were, that were mainly going to talk about like i was i looked on cage match to see what was the what was the first show i went to i wasn't uh wasn't keeping spreadsheets back then what's the first brit res show i went to of this decade and i discovered that i'd actually gone to one of the last three one pw shows uh at liverpool's olympia so i i can proudly say i was one of the uh the people in the audience for that one as i saw um beer money uh on that show so chris travis oh, wow. a great match against um oh, what was his name uh the one who, it was mordecai in wwe uh kevin thorne was it they had like a, a bloody brawl where they they broke i think they had like a band on at the start of the show typical one pw uh, and oh, during yeah, the didn't brawl, they have some kind of feud over Facebook or MySpace or something. I think yeah. they said something about him, and he was like, "Who the fuck is this Chris Travis guy saying <laughs> yeah. something about me?" So yeah, that was like Benno. You witnessed the first social media feud in person. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, that's that's a big thing I want to get into, like the difference between the first half of the decade and the second half of the decade, because that stuff was still novel, wasn't it? And I get like, the main event, James, you won't believe, was I'd forgotten until I looked it up today. I got to see three and a half years after his famous match with Daniel Bryan in the Liverpool Olympia, Nigel Guinness was back as Desmond Wolfe against Lionheart in the main event of that one PW show. Couldn't tell you a thing about it. I vaguely remember him not being quite as over as he was in those old ROH days. But yeah, I'm glad to say I was was there for history at the uh, the start of this decade. Do you think he even remembers being in the Olympia after what happened on that the night with Danielson? <laughs> I don't. He think probably he walked in going, I've, "I've never been in this building before." <laughs> <laughs> and again, he's a different man. He was Desmond Wolf, so completely different yeah. character there. Danielson, um, yeah, Danielson. Every time he goes back to Liverpool Olympia, he's like, "Oh, this is where that twat threw that bottle at me after all." <laughs> <laughs> Some yep, call I mean, the audience. Freeze <laughs> <laughs> uh, the audio and you'll see Joe Grapple Spotlight launching a, a bottle, very unhappy at a Daniel Bryan beating our local hero, Nigel McGuinness. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't quite as memorable that night, but I don't know, I, that, that was going to be a big talk for, for me, Martin. Obviously, I'm imagining things were completely different out in Ireland, James. But for me and you, Martin, I think the big story of the first half of the decade is probably going to be how different our experiences are going to be and how different I think everyone's experiences are going to be because I think everything was a bit more localised at that point. Yeah, because I think, um, obviously, my, I think my first sort of like non-WF show was International Showdown, but obviously that was in 2005 mm-hmm. and then 
I've been Same. reading Power Slam for years and years, and even when I've sort of like gone off uh, wrestling, I was still buying Power Slam every month to try and keep up with everything. And then obviously the wrestling channel opened my eyes up to the likes of AJ Styles, Chris Daniels, and you know Ring of Honor and things like that. Um, yeah, and it was. I used to um, I used to go to a lot of the early One PW shows. I think they were sort of like the tail end of sort of like. I think they might have, 2007, I think they probably started. And obviously it all went to shit, didn't it? Owing <laughs> money, leaving a bad taste in people's mouth. But um, those first few shows, they ran in Doncaster Dome, um, you know, around 1,500 people, stacked to the gills, obviously, with the American stars like AJ Styles, Loki, Austin Aries. Uh, they, those weren't being flown in every month like they are these days. You know, it was few and far between when those guys were coming in. So having that down the road for me and... And at the time, I didn't care that it was all Americans. You know, there were a few British guys like Jody Fleisch and Johnny Storm on the undercard. But at the time, I was just interested in seeing the imports. Uh, I mean, it all went shit, obviously, you know, after they announced the great mooter and the cash run out and, you know, yeah. cancelled shows. I kind of lost interest and didn't really carry it on. So it's interesting to hear you went to one of the one of the <laughs> last shows. I didn't even know that show had taken place. Or maybe I did after reading the one PW book with, uh, with beer money on it. Um, cause I even carried on running from one form or another until 2011. Did they? I had not realized. Yeah. They, that Danny Rod guy was running them, weren't he? And I think the other, uh, yeah. their last show was after Shawn Michaels' retirement. He was coming in to do a Q and a, but that all went tits up. And I think people are still owed money to, you know, to this day, but I think Benno for that early period and certainly with the nineties as well, um, you know, I think fans were just really soured on Brit rest, weren't they? Uh, you yeah. know, they were sick of promotions promising the earth and hardly ever delivering and running off with fans' money in a lot of cases. <laughs> and it just got to the point, didn't it, where people were just shrugging their shoulders and going, Oh, it's just Brit rest. Yeah, I think that's it. I think in the in the two thousand that you went to the international showdown that we were both at and sadly didn't meet up. But you know, there, there were a few of those super super shows in the two thousands where I think the the traveling fans' attention got grabbed. You know, Jamesy make flying over from Ireland for the uh, for the ROH shows, that type of thing. They were there, but they were few and far between. And then when they, when one PW came and went and kind of again left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, cost a, a lot of people money and owed a lot of people money on the way out and just kind of sullied things. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a weird fractured situation. I would say Brit Rose was in at the the first part of the decade, and I think it, it was fractured to the point where I think we were all in our own silos. Like a podcast like this would never have worked back then, or at least yeah. I don't think it would. Because I'd be talking about going to GPW, you know, in the Northwest, in Wigan and Future Shock. And I'd be talking about going to Infinite Promotions in Liverpool. And you'd be talking about what was going on around Sheffield Town at that time. Fuck all. <laughs> Not much sense <laughs> in that case, you know. But, you know, and if, I, if I spoke to Joe and JP, they'd tell me about, you know, promotion, the, couple, the odd promotion running locally down south. But we were all in our silos, I think. And you mentioned, like, the, the internet promoting thing before. And I think that's, like... I think that's a big difference between the first and the second half of the of the, of the decade uh, in that I think it was kind of frowned upon. You know, it became like a, people would run angles on the UK fan forum, that famous uh, message. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it'd just be kind of all oh, this low-budget, shindy, work-in-the-internet-marked kind of stuff. Um, and, and there just wasn't that network, I don't think, with the internet. It just didn't. It just didn't. Promotions tried it. They tried to run feuds on the internet, that type of thing, and it didn't really work until, like, the, I'd say the second half of the decade, when maybe you know the Twitters of the world are around, and everyone was just that 
that bit more connected. But I do think there are positives to that too, because I, I do think like, you know, me, like I said, I go to Infinite Promotions uh, up in Liverpool. It was Zach Gibson's promotion, his first promotion before uh, he started running the Fighting Spirit School. It was the first venue, first promotion to kind of, like a more modern type promotion to run like a, a proper venue monthly or at least every couple of months in Liverpool. And I'd see the likes of, you know, D'Lo Brown came in for a shot. Roddy Strong came in for a, for a shot. Chuck Taylor did. Uh, they kind of had, I, I even, I didn't realize this until I looked uh, today, Jamesy, but Jordan Devlin was on one of those Alien for the promotion shows. Oh, yeah. I, I had no idea. Him and their Sean Maxer as a tag team. Uh, I forget what the name was. It was something like the, uh, the, oh, the, the hangovers. Hangovers. Oh, the that's it. hangovers. Yeah, the yeah. Hangovers. Yeah. And I've got a vague memory of a couple of Irish lads on those early Infinite shows, but it's a lot like that. You know, the be the likes of Josh Bowden was all over those shows. Uh, I get to see you know James Drake for the first time. Well, since he uh, left the Blackpool Blondes on those shows, Mark Andrews, Flash Morgan Webster, even the likes of you know Pete Dunn. You know, I'd see on lo- local shows maybe an odd GPW appearance in there. I think he did but it was like it was a situation uh, where I'd... to interrupt you were um travis and kirby obviously project ego were a big part of sort of like one pw in their sort of like last few uh, years weren't they and they seem to be like <laughs> making a name for themselves around the north did they ever sort of like make it to few chuck and, and the likes of those promotions oh yeah they were a player you know infinite especially um infinite kind of had the, the weird few going on where Project Ego in, in Martin Kirby and Chris Travis would be feuding with the models who were Joey Hayes and Danny Hope. And if you've ever seen Danny Hope, who's got the model gimmick, he doesn't really look like much of a model. And apparently, I think Road Dog worked uh, one of those random 1PW shows and took one look at Joey Hayes and one look at Chris Travis and was like, you guys should be the tag team. Uh, but they'd always feud against each other. And you'd, yeah, that match was like a, a very common match um, around that time, you know, especially in Infinite. But yeah, you know, there was loads of names like that, you know, even a wild boar. Names that like, I until I've looked back on it, I go, oh, yeah, I did see those guys early on. Oh yeah, I did see getting to see, you know, a, a Haskins or a, or a Mark Andrews or, a, you know, even, like I said, even a Pete Dunn work and a Devlin work at that local level. And I think it was kind of good because it, I think it was really what allowed us to get the boom we got in the second half of the decade because it allowed them to work local shows where, yeah, someone like me was there, but there wasn't, you know what I mean? Like this closed, like Twitter base where everything, you know, everything the do not resuscitate guys do, like pretty much someone's going to see. It's going to make tape, um, you know, with, with exceptions, but you know what I mean? They didn't get really get that yeah. opportunity. It's not that five-year run that, you know, a Haskins got, that a Mark Andrews got of working all these regular shows, getting all this work, developing as a wrestler, but doing it kind of in quiet to the point where when they did get to break out of, in bigger promotions in the second half of the decade, they were still, you know, somewhat fresh at that point. And we don't really have that now. So I do think, yeah, those that kind of fractured nature of the world and the, you know, before, you know, the, the big traveling fan would come because of, because of some promotions we're going to mention in a minute. I do think that, yeah, you know, talent benefited from that. And it was a, a really unique little world we had in there the first half of this decade. Yeah, because I always forget that Mark Haskins in a, in a com- in another life signed with TNA, didn't he? When they yeah, were yeah. Like, running the arena shows over here. Obviously, he'd been like skins in the Chavs or whatever, hadn't he? That faction, the Chavs, that he came out with baseball bats. Yeah, well, I was like, I've never seen the Chavs with a baseball <laughs> bat, but anyway. Yeah, and then I, I, when he was you known more as a high flyer and everything, weren't he? And he was, uh, he, in his early days, he was with TNA and even doing like tours of Dragon Gate in, in Japan and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think he might have been the first foreigner 
that drag or one of the first few that uh, Dragon Gate fetched in, certainly him or, or Paco or whatever. So yeah, I've just mm. remembered actually. You were talking about Road Dog backstage at One PW. I remember uh, Sterling James Keenan was obviously a big part of One PW. Obviously now Corey Graves on WWE. I'm sure there was a story in the book, or someone told me that uh, when they brought Ric Flair into the Q and A, and he went backstage and he sort of like looked at Sterling James Keenan, Corey Graves, and he was like, "That's your champion, really." <laughs> <laughs> wow and look where we are now oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah like you forget that though don't you that those guys got that kind of work like Haskins you know he did yeah. kind of get that breakout he did a, obviously did a bit, bit of work for Dragon Gate as well I was at those uh, that Nottingham show from Dragon Gate UK that I think he was on I think he was teaming with Marty Scale at the time one of the first times I'd ever seen him in full on party Marty mode uh, Back the before kind of a, oh god, the time, yeah, before he uh, regenerated <laughs> and then uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, take me the Take the Almaty, yeah, bloody hell. Yeah. Or, or even Castleford as well during that those days of Dragon Gate UK. Because obviously they were running into two thousand and fourteen. It was like Shingo was all over those shows, wasn't he? And then Pac before he signed with WWE and everything. I mean, got some of those shows on DVD, suddenly never made it down to any of them. But they were they were cracking shows then, weren't they? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, I only ever made it to the one, the Nottingham one. Um, and it was one of the first, again, you know, they were similar to the, the super shows in the mid-2000s. They were the ones in the early, you know, 10s where I would see, you know, my fans I know off, you know, off message boards or fans I know that are traveling. You get a lot of traveling fans to those kind of shows. And yeah, I get, get to see Shingo in the main against, I think, against uh, Susumu Yokosuka. Uh, I think that was the main event of the Nottingham show I went to. And then obviously, yeah, on tape, there were some classic matches as well there yeah, in that first half of the decade. Uh, like we both said, I think before we came on air, Martin, like I'd didn't really count Dragon Gate UK as part of this decade, but it was. It's a shame it's gone, to be honest, because, yeah, I could, could imagine that of to done business in the, uh, the second half of the decade. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you imagine they ran their last show in 2014, and then you imagine mm. how much business they would have been doing in sort of, like, 16 and 17. It would have been huge for mm. them. But, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, obviously, it wasn't to be. Um, I think my my first sort of, like, British show of the of this sort of, like, period that we're in now was... Uh, was sort of like from one of the promoters and there were two of them that sort of like were fans of 1PW and then looked at what mistakes they've made and, uh, <laughs> and sort of like, and you know, bring it, get an input, put him on the poster and then bring the casual fans in, but then use that as an opportunity to get over the British talent without spending as much money like Chris Travis's and your Joey Hayes's. And uh, yeah, Southside and Preston City Wrestling, because uh, my first show were uh, 2014 Southside Speaking and it, I'd originally gone to it because uh, Prince Devitt was on his uh, sort of farewell tour from the UK before signing with WWE. And yeah, and that was my first time seeing Osprey, Pete Dunne, Kaylee Ray, Chris Travis, uh, Martin Kirby. Yeah, fantastic show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, so um, yeah, because obviously uh, Flutter and uh, Ben Alder have been <laughs> big fans of 1PW and sort of like seen that. And then I think even Flutter said in an interview once that he sort of like wanted to carry on those weekenders of, you know, just fans getting together for a weekend of wrestling and carried it on with PCW. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously me and Ben have talked at uh, length there, James. What, what was it like um, over in Ireland, sort of like in the early 2000s? 
Well, it's actually very interesting because like we had this weird little mini boom in the middle of the previous decade. So kind of in the mid 2000s, we would have had Irish whip wrestling, which kind of exploded on the back of the wrestling channel, which was based in Dublin. Um, so we had Seamus and we had Drew Galloway and Stu Bennett and all those guys over here on a regular basis. Um, and like the Irish whip wrestling flew in all kinds of people. Like I, I can remember seeing people like AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Chris Saban, you know, you'd have the kind of the indie darlings of the time being flown in, but then you'd also then have the the ECW guys. You'd have Rhino coming in, you'd have Raven coming in, you'd have Sandman coming in. Um, I I, I believe the CZW title was defended twice in one day over here at one point, possibly on the first ever Irish Whip Wrestling show, which is a great little bit of trivia for, for anyone that doesn't know. I think it was Zandig and Justice Payne or something like that. Now, I didn't see that show, but it was something I saw on Cage Match when I was kind of doing my research earlier. Um, and they kind of, you know, so as I said, we had that little boom in the, in the in the previous decade and they kind of muddled along for a while. And then, of course, Seamus got signed away. Andrew Galloway got signed away. And the whole thing kind of dropped away quite a lot. Like Irish Whip Wrestling kept going well into the following decade. But like at the turn of the decade, they had very much kind of turned into a a small promotion that like before they were very much doing big shows in Dublin on a semi-regular basis. And then they would do smaller shows down in Waterford and around the country, but they kind of turned into a, a touring family promotion after that. So they'd be the kind of promotion that would turn up to a local town and go into a local sports hall and you'd have eight wrestlers on the card and you'd do the usual thing, like where everybody had wrestled twice. Like you'd have a, you'd have a, you'd have singles matches on the, on, on the first half of the show. And then maybe an eight man tag is the main event or something like that, or, or a battle run as the main event or something like that. Um, so wrestling in Ireland in, in the first half of the decade just gone by was fairly sparse. You know, there were a few small promotions that tried to start up. There was a, um, a Dublin City wrestling that ran a few shows, but it never went anywhere. There was Celtic Pro Wrestling that tried, but nothing could really kind of gain any foothold or take off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, as you said, Ben, as we talk about a lot, I had been to the UK quite a lot in the previous decade. Like I had been to the ROH, those big shows. of uh, the, the two times they came to Liverpool, I'd been over. I'd been at the Noah show in 2008. Um, I, I actually went to the first of those Dragon Gate UK shows in 2009. The first mm-hmm. time I met Alan Forel, actually the first time I properly met Alan Forel was at that show um, saw the great Shingo uh, Susumu match and saw Pac and the Young Bucks all of them were there Marty with his lurid fake tan as we talked about earlier <laughs> um, and, and actually would you believe that's the last time I went to the UK for a show I, I never actually went to the UK in the last decade for a wrestling show because wow. my, my, my yeah which is really interesting when you think about like we look, we look at the last decade as the big boom and that kind of thing but what kind of happened was like at the start of this decade um, I kind of fell away from wrestling in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, we talked before, Benno, about getting disillusioned with Ring of Honor. Like, and I was very hardcore Ring of Honor fan in the 2000s. And when, when the Samoa Joes left and the CM Punks left and um, the Danielsons left and that kind of thing, my interest in that kind of dropped away an awful lot. And my interest in independent wrestling as a whole kind of dropped away. And so I was barely keeping in touch with wrestling, say, in 2010, 11. Um, you know, I, I would have been keeping an eye on WWE and that kind of thing. Um and then kind of it was when New Japan kind of picked up, I suppose New Japan kind of replaced ROH for me. And that's when my kind of I kind of got back on the Internet and started taking an active interest in wrestling again. And um, you mentioned uh, Martin there uh, about Fergal Devitt 
and that kind of mini tour he did in the UK kind of between leaving New Japan and signing with NXT and it, mm. it, it was it was him kind of like because we, we would always have been very proud of Fergal over here and he's somebody we would have kind of kept an eye on you know what I mean the fact that there was an Irish wrestler in New Japan you know what I mean so even back in the, at the end of the decade when he was starting off as a junior we would have always kept an eye on him and that kind of thing um, so when I kind of saw that he was doing, suddenly he was doing shows in the UK and I was kind of thinking, God, there's, there's, there's still wrestling in the UK. It had just kind of dropped off my radar completely. And it was that, um, that YouTube show that Progress put out, I think in 2014, um, I think it was chapter 13, that there was a few kind of technical glitches on the show and they, they decided they'd put it on YouTube for free. And I saw I, I saw that he was he was on that show and he was wrestling Zack Sabre Jr., who was someone I would have heard Alan Forel kind of raving an awful lot about. He was always Alan Forel's guy from, from a long way back in that decade. Um, so it was that little Fergal Devitt run that kind of got me back into watching British wrestling and that kind of thing. And that was 2014. And then at the end of 2014, OTT started off and I started going to those shows. And it was it was kind of through seeing guys on, like Will Ospreay would be announced, you know what I mean, for an OTT show. And I'd kind of have seen little bits and bobs of him on progress. Started digging a little bit deeper. And before I knew it, I was up to my neck in wrestling again. You know what I mean? And by 2015, 2016, I was completely in on the whole thing again, you know what I mean? And I was following everything online and I was on Twitter and I was, you know, sure. And at that point, I suppose, you know, I was also married and had kids. Um, so my my opportunity to kind of fly to England were, were vastly reduced after that, you know what I mean? Mm. But it got, it got to the point then in 2015, 16, when, when OTT were bringing in all the kind of, the big stars anyway. So like I was getting to see Chris Hero in OTT in 2016. I was getting to see Marty Skrull. I was getting to see later on the Young Bucks and the Elite and Kenny Omega and that kind of thing. So I never really felt that compunction to kind of fly over to the UK when I kind of was getting wrestling on my own doorstep, mm. you know. So that's kind of my, I've kind of had an interesting decade where it's kind of gone from <laughs> almost dropping off completely to kind of here I am kind of talk at, at the start of a new decade. Here I am doing a podcast with you guys and that kind of thing. And it's funny the way the world works and it's funny the way things happen kind of when you think back on it you know yeah i think it goes back to what benno said about um you know everyone being sort of like more connected because obviously you know at the start of the decade that's when sort of like Twitter yeah. arrived and everyone yeah. started getting yeah. broadband and you know everyone started getting internet on their phones and things like that so yeah it's just yeah and it, that obviously benefited the uh, wrestling scene massively you wouldn't have nowhere near as many sort of like bigger promotions and promotions that were able to sort of mm-hmm. like stream their products to the world and things like that and that's yeah. just what the promotions from the late 2000s were missing out and i know some of them sort of tried little things like putting shows up on youtube but that was before you know people were sort of like all over youtube for things like that and it was hard maybe to get the word out unless you were advertising in powerpoint <laughs> which i can imagine is quite expensive you know what i mean yeah the promotions even poster these days and you know the bigger promotions you can't imagine Steve. you know sort of glenn joseph running around london putting posters on bus <laughs> They should, though. I mean, <laughs> I would always say, like, RevPro really should <laughs> with some of that. Absolutely. But, yeah, yeah it, it has changed, though, where, yeah, imagine that. Like, if, if in, like, the early 2000s you tried to run a show and just purely advertise it on the internet, which at that time, again, would have meant a thread on the UK fan forum and maybe some, I don't know, MySpace posts about it. Yeah. It probably wouldn't have worked, would it? Uh, obviously, Facebook was around as well. But, yeah, I think it's, it does tell you, like, a big difference between, you know, then and and now. And I think the other thing is, like, I don't think the early 2000 shows 
we did not, you know, cameras are cheaper now, aren't they? Production's cheaper. Yeah. You know, we make fun of the progress presentation now, but, you know, the, the, the nice little filter they throw on their shows and the cool look at it was a big part of what got them over. And we didn't really have that in the early 2000s. Like, you know, PCW for one, you know, you mentioned before, Martin, about, you know, the, the flying formula and they were a, a big proponent of that. They were, you know, in the Northwest. For me, kind of the, the big promotion that would bring in your big imports. They'd have, like, say, gold dust on a show, but invent the like see here, Chris Travis could do great work on the undercards. It meant that, you know, a Lionheart or a Bubblegum or, you know, an Elegero could get in there with a low-key. Matches like that could could yeah. happen on the show. I remember a really great Landstorm and Martin Kirby match that was incredible live, and Landstorm raved about it on his own podcast, but it just didn't really translate to VOD because I didn't think that the production was, was quite at that level yet. Uh, I think a lot of things like that had to change to make uh, things uh, a lot more accessible. And, yeah, and I think... We kind of had that. We had the the very much the live promotions that your local fans would go to, and we kind of had like the the start of you know maybe adults traveling. You know, like I say, your PCW being your big nightclub promotion, trying starting to get people uh, to go, and you know the football chanting type uh, atmosphere that are, to me, you know, there are probably ICW fans uh, screaming at us right now because we haven't really mentioned them too much yet. Uh, you kind of get the credit for that, but I would say that kind of for me, at least from you know, my Northwest eyes, the first time I saw all that happen was in, in early PCW. Um, and again, there's probably IPW UK fans or people who are very, you know, into their local scene somewhere down south uh, where they start to see those things taking shape. But yeah, it, again, it was a very much a, a fragmented atmosphere. And, and again, without the internet and without maybe, you know, the, the tech that we've uh, taken for granted in the second half of the decade, it wasn't really, you know, the wrestling that we had maybe didn't quite translate to that um, more uh, clued in and worldwide audience. Yeah, I mean, obviously, these promotions and progress and Red Pro and that's really started taking off in 2012 to 14, didn't they? And um, mm-hmm. you have got to shout out Preston City Wrestling for the realizing nightclubs were a perfect venue for wrestling. Oh, right? yeah. So, obviously, you've got the built in lights, a built in sound system, bar already there. And, you know, a lot of people sort of like praise progress for that, but it was definitely PCW. Their first show in 2011, they'd look past leisure centres and working man's clubs because that's never a a good look for a show as a wrestling venue. And realise nightclubs were perfect for wrestling. Um, I mean, you Mm. roam up there, Benno, and um, ICW, and, I mean, they were sort of like the first quote-unquote boom company in the UK, weren't they? I mean, they've been running shows since 2006, believe it or not. But, um, you know, it was around 2014 that people started really taking notice notice because... the BBC produced that documentary about them entitled Insane Fight Club uh, that was different because it wasn't usual mainstream media look at wrestling and going, oh, it's all fake, isn't it? But in fact, just mm. follow Mark Dallas around and a few of the wrestlers as they built up to one of the bigger shows. And obviously, Grado was all over that show, uh, one of the main stars of it. And, um, you know, in subsequent years, he became a household name around Scotland. And, um, I think they just really captured people's attention north of the border. They went on to have that huge Drew Galloway v. Grado title match in 2016, and then the year after, to around 6,000 people to the Hydro Arena. And also, they were the first company to start streaming their shows via Pivot Share. I mean, obviously, that's been copied by every other promotion now, but, and you know, you, mileage will vary on whether Pivot Share is any good or not. Personally, I don't think it's great, but, you know, <laughs> as far as, like, a wrestling company using it, it's got to be cost-effective for them. And, um, I mean, audience and interest in the promotion has, has dwindled now, but they had some massive years in the middle of the decade, I thought, uh, Jamesy. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, say what you like about the product, and I know Benno's still getting pelters from people in Scotland <laughs> over his comments on this podcast a few months ago. <laughs> but, but like, it, it, you cannot deny their success. You know what I mean? And you cannot deny those numbers that they put up. Like, I, I think that that six thousand that they put in was it the hydro in was it twenty sixteen or twenty fifteen? Did the really big one? I, I think that still uh, is that one. 17 was it that was one with Kurt Angle and Joe Coffey wasn't it yeah. like that's that still stands as one of if not the biggest non-WWE uh, wrestling event held in Europe since the 80s you know what I mean and it's not to be sniffed at you know what I mean and I I think like what what really fell into their laps and they got lucky was basically those two figures you mentioned uh, Martin number one Drew Galloway fell into their laps I think he left WWE was it in 2013 or 2014 and like he he was I know like he, he may not have been treated very well on the main roster by the end but he was a big deal to people in Scotland you know what I mean and he was a genuine superstar and a genuine draw and he was a guy who left WWE with a chip on his shoulder you know what I mean and like he was not happy about the way he was treated there and not happy about the fact that he left and he kind of came onto the indies with an attitude that you know I'm going to prove them wrong and I'm going to you know do whatever I have to do to get back there so like you have this this you know this this really impressive looking guy who kind of it was from Scotland that people could identify with and then you had Grado and like Grado he like he didn't he have a documentary as well a Vice documentary in 2012 yeah, or yeah. 2013 yeah which again you know just it got him into the public consciousness and he was a guy that ended up on he kind of became a Z-list celebrity in his own right like he'd be popping up on mainstream TV shows here and there and that kind of thing and it was just a kind of a perfect storm of kind of um you know, you had those two big stars kind of, and they may have main evented a big show themselves, I think in 2015 or 2016. And it just all kind of came together perfectly for them at the perfect time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm going to be positive. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, this is the show where we celebrate the decade. Adam. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, I got, you've got to give ICW credit. I, I completely agree with everything uh, you said there, James. It was, Again, at a time where it was needed, similar to what PCW did uh, up in the Northwest, I think ICW presented uh, grown-up wrestling. Um, you know, I might not like the, the Attitude Era style bucket of it, and it might not have always been for me, but they presented wrestling for adults, for a certain crowd who wanted to, to the go to the shows and, you know, have a few drinks and create a rowdy atmosphere and get behind their local stars to the point, like you say, where they were made national stars like a Grado. Uh, like even, you know, to a point of Noam Dar and you know, the great run that uh, the Drew Galloway had near the end there too. Uh, yeah, you've got, got to give ICW. I think ICW, again, as much as it's not for me, I would probably say the most important company when we talk about the Brit Rose Broom over the last 10 years. Uh, like Martin said, I think, you know, but let's say they were second to it, you know, from PCW with maybe that nightclub idea and that, you know, the type of crowd they had or, or joint first, but they were, they were there and, and they were the ones that kind of made it look like, Oh, this can be done. You can run like a proper adult oriented show and it can work. Um, and it can be something that, you know, travels further than, than just, you know, the, the locals who are, are trotting up for their local wrestling show, a show that, you know, for, for its faults did always do good numbers on, you know, the likes of VOD did do good numbers for those big temple events and those big hyro shows that people would travel for. And yeah, I think it was, it was the buzz that they created and it was also 
like you said, the, the, the iPlayer stuff, the BBC stuff, the fact that Grado became a bit of a household name, at least in a, up that end of the uh, the world, and just in general, that 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 big publicity that, that it got, I remember at the time, just random people in work going, oh, did you know there was a wrestling documentary on BBC? Or, or just all the, all the you know, mates of mine that have got a passing interest in wrestling, wanted to go to their first, I think their first Liverpool show they did, the one where they, they uh, trust out Jimmy Corkill as a, as a running. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, also they had uh, one of the heels do a uh, do a whole Hillsborough act, which uh, didn't go down too well with the uh, the local Liverpool support. <laughs> uh, but they did do yeah some good things on that show too. Uh, at a time where they were you know they were doing they were touring you know when promotions weren't really touring, post promotions had their area of the world and they stayed there. And they made that stuff work. And, you know, I've got good memories of that first Liverpool show, the second big Liverpool show I went to, I think, or maybe the third one, had that uh, that great Jordan Devil and Trent Seven match on it. Uh, I'll be honest, you know, I'll, I'll throw pelters at ICW, but I think they really, really deserve credit for, for both influence and, yeah, definitely got personally some uh, some good memories of uh, of seeing their shows, at least in the, uh, the middle part of the decade. And sticking sort of like to the uh, the first part of the decade in 2012, which is when um, a certain uh, promotion called Progress started up. And um, I mean, the first couple of chapters, nothing to write home about. But then they've started like um, a few that I don't think they'll ever top around sort of like uh, chapter sort of five and six. Uh, Jimmy Havoc, who had been wrestling for the company since the second chapter, um you sort of had a different storyline, didn't you, going in the first few chapters where he didn't want to be seen as just a deathmatch guy and went on a losing streak until around chapter nine when he finally had enough of progress and took out Jim Small with a chair, winning the progress title at uh, the subsequent next chapter, chapter 10. Um, I mean, this was probably their best run of shows uh, from chapter 10 to 20 with Havoc flanked by his crew of London Riots and Paul Robinson uh, with the fans absolutely hating him. And then... Will Ospreay finally beating Havoc for the title at Chapter 20 and uh, hitting the 630 splash, which he'd sort of been afraid to use because of injury. And uh, what a great story and was definitely the best uh, thing progress have ever done, in, in in my opinion, Benno. Yeah, and they've kind of lived off the reputation of it ever since. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if they've told a, a story near that good since, and I don't think they really told one before it either. I think that's kind of, you talk progress and you talk storytelling, you're talking that feud. Um, but that's not to do it down either, because, uh, you know, once upon a time, I was an absolutely massive progress fan. You know, going from, as James, you said earlier, that unbelievable Jeff show that, that leaked onto YouTube, um, due to the, that problem with the cameras through to when well, I think they ran the first Manchester show in 2015 which I didn't get to but you know, towards the end of that year was kind of when I jumped on board and started you know, I'd heard, I'd seen the you know the Jimmy Havoc Dexter videos uh, just shared about on Twitter and the like, and was aware of the promotion, aware of this uh, this Will Osprey from uh, maybe some exposure at Rev Pro too. Uh, and yeah, I do remember like binging towards the ends of maybe the middle towards the end of 2015 progress, pretty much from the start. Um, and I remember it being you know at first you know those those first. Early early days in the garage didn't make for the best VOD atmosphere, but once they really found their footing and got going, which kind of was around that unbelievable jet area and right in the midst of of the, uh, the maybe the bits of the Osprey Havoc feud as well, you could say, it did. Unlike a lot of the Brit Res in the first half of the the, the tens, I think this was, and unlike some of ICW stuff, this was wrestling that really I thought translated to to you know the it, it, you watched it. 
and you wanted to be there. You wanted to be there in the ballroom. You wanted to be a part of of that atmosphere. Like you know, James, you mean you always remember with the old uh, in the mid two thousands and commentary, uh, Gabe or Jimmy Bauer, and always go on about uh, if you really want to experience this atmosphere, you've got to be got to be here live. <laughs> and you get that feeling watching those DVDs, thinking, "Oh, I wish I was there." And I had that same feeling watching those those you know maybe chapter ten or so on progress shows and watching the Osprey Havoc feud kind of take shape. Oh, and you're watching, you know, that that World Cup that they did that time as well, and just you know seeing the the Paul Robinson Osprey kind of team fall apart, all of those little strands, and just that overall presentation of the package, the incredible you know music that they used, and they weren't the first promotion to use real music, but I would say you know to his credit, Jim Small had always had a a good ear for a banger of a theme song that added to it. Like I say, that just the way the VOD was presented, although Pivotier has its problems, it did look cool. Uh, it looked like a cool place to be, and yeah, I was I was bang into it in those early days. And it, it, you know, watching that VOD convinced me to make the trip down to Camden for the first time at the very tail end of 2015 into 2016. Uh, and yeah, they, they really were. I think they were striking. I think while other promotions like ICW have maybe put the formula together, and there've been other promotions doing an adult presentation. I do think there was just something different about progress that felt like its own contained universe. And they did a lot of those little things, right. And it, it felt like a professional, but alternative wrestling promotion worthy of you following from month to month, rather than just turning up when they're at your local town hall. Yeah. I think, um, obviously you brought it up then Benno and James, he fetched up earlier. They've certainly dragged a load of eyes onto them with that unbelievable Jeff show on YouTube. Didn't they Jamesy? Absolutely, yeah. I, I see that as an important kind of a, a, a use the word chapter, but an important kind of a moment in their history was, was like again, like all things that happen in wrestling, something that kind of happened probably without them intending it to happen. You know, there's yeah. a mess up with there's a mess up with the quality, and they put it on YouTube. And like I think even they they themselves will talk about that being a kind of a moment where they suddenly became bigger as a promotion. You know, and I would echo everything that Beno said there. For me, what they were like, and I did watch a lot of that early stuff, kind of in retrospect looking back but even looking back you could see that it was different and that's the word you use Benno it was different mm. to anything else that people were presenting there was creativity I would say there was a lot of love put into the promotion in those days by the people who ran it there was a lot of care put into it I, I think they deserve great credit as businessmen for for really taking small steps at the start you know what I mean as you said those first 10 chapters don't look brilliant on VOD but like it was very necessary necessary for them to run a small venue at the start and just kind of gain a foothold you know what i mean and just to get started and and they they deserve for kind they deserve credit for walking before they could run they never got greedy you know what i mean they took their time they built up the fan base and then they went to the electric ballroom and like they still have pretty much sold out every single show they've ever done in the electric ballroom. You know what I mean? And that's, again, we give them pelters and we slag them off a lot. You know, to have a promotion that's been running for that long, to have that record is seriously impressive. You know what I mean? And they are good businessmen. They do know what they're doing, you know. And especially in those days, they, they knew what they were doing, you know. And that mm-hmm. Osprey Habit feud is by far the peak of the promotion. You know what I mean? And like, you know, we're always giving OTT credit for for the videos that they put out before the matches that build up the stories. In fairness to progress, they were doing that 
quite a long time before that. Like those, those really, you know, some of them fell flat and some of them were a bit cringy in hindsight, but they were doing those um, Jimmy Havoc videos. You know, those ones where he's kind of taken off Hannibal Lecter and that kind of thing. And, you know, they, they, they were trying things that were different and they're doing everything they could to kind of promote themselves and get their storylines over. And, um, I think progress were uh, progress, and like I'll just just take a little step back to what you guys were talking, what you were saying earlier, Benno, about um, you know that that generation of older wrestlers who who by twenty fifteen were seasoned and were ready. The mm. Martys, the Haskins, like Zach had been wrestling for a long, long time by then. You know what I mean? So on chapter one, progress are straight away able to put a main event on. What wasn't it Zach and Marty in the main event of the very first chapter? You know, straight away you can put on a match with two kind of good hands where you know you're guaranteed a good match. And I, I, I was I remember looking I was reading the cage match of that chapter thirteen. And who's on that show as well? Only Pete Dunne in a natural progression series match. You know what I mean? So you had this beautiful combination of of those veterans who had kind of paid their dues on the indies over, over the barren period and had done the camp shows and had kind of worked on their gimmicks and were ready to kind of main event the shows. And then underneath that, you, you had the attack guys. You, you had you know Pete Dunne and Mandrews and uh, Flash Morgan Webster who were hungry and were, you know, they had locker room leaders and they had those older guys kind of ready to kind of, you know, show them the ropes and that kind of thing and it was just you know we talk about when there's a boom you need a lot of things in place and like mm. the talent was there this boom wouldn't have happened unless the talent was there and at the core of the whole thing you can strip away all the promotions and all the promoting and all the business if the talent isn't there a scene doesn't rise and it's the same thing that's happened here in Ireland in the last few years once the talent is there the whole thing will just build and build and build and kind of snowball from there you know I remember chapter 20 was like the, that's the only time I've been to an electric ballroom show, but that was like a must go to show. And this is me who put Jimmy Havoc in the bin at the end of last year. And like, <laughs> you had to be at that show in the Osprey because he'd done such a good job with building it up and you had to be in the building to watch Osprey sort of defeat, you know, the, the main villain in progress. And it was just a fantastic day and a fantastic atmosphere. But it's like, you can't talk about big moments in progress without talking about, um, similar to ICW again, they started to outgrow their original venues. I mean, they ran Brixton Academy in 2016, took out about two and a half thousand, then the even bigger Alexander Palace and then Wembley Arena. I mean, I mean, as much, you know, as much as you might not like the actual show of, that they put on at Wembley, to think of like in 2010 of a, a British wrestling promotion, mainly using British wrestlers running Wembley Arena, was like unthinkable. Mm. And then running around the country in Manchester and Sheffield, having shows over Mania Weekend, then having shows in Canada. The first Super Strong Style 16 tournament, 2015. Great concept by the company and been the highlight of the year ever since, pretty much. Um, and, and so, yeah, a lot of sort of like really memorable and big moments for progress there, Benno. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, those those big shows, you know, the the first Brick, the, the Brixton Academy show, like that was one where I was there live having gone to a, a number of chapters that year. And I remember being in the crowds and I think what progress did, I think I was drinking the Kool-Aid at that time. I was swept up in it. I was, oh, oh, little promotion. We've made it. We're now at Brixton. What's next? Um, I, you know, and it, it was genuine. Every time they did that, there was that communal aspect of of the fans be, feeling like they're part of it and help them, you know, break those barriers. And like you say, running an SEC arena, which is just, you know, just genuinely like an impressive feat. Probably not going to hit that peak again, but they did it. Um, and they did it with like I think that's the thing I think that's what made it progress so exciting in those first you know four or five years is that is that kind of 
I don't know, you, you felt like you were with them as they got bigger and they were, you know, outgrowing themselves and they were starting to do shows outside of the London area as well. Like I mentioned, started doing Manchester shows, getting out to Sheffield, getting out to Birmingham. And you did feel like you were part of what? of their organic growth. And it was genuinely impressive what they did. Obviously that, that kind of growth slowed towards the end of the, uh, the decade to, to say the least, but yeah, it doesn't take away from the, the credit that they deserve and the, the brand that they created and just the, you know, the moments that they created that, that meant that that, you know, that, that fan base got even bigger and bigger as time went on. Like for me, you know, big memories for me from progress. The first live show I went to was, so did you say you were at chapter 20 where you are? Yeah, were you the at only Bastard? Show I've been to, yeah. Oh, was it? Uh, so I missed you by it's five. I was at a, <laughs> a very good one to go to. I was at 25, the, uh, the scale Osprey match, um, with the beat, with the title change with Marty winning the belt. Um, and yeah, that, you know, there's so many, that's a, that's a big memory for me. And, you know, we start talking about matches of the decade. Maybe, maybe that one or maybe the Rev Pro one uh, might pip it. But I was, they'll definitely be up there in, in the conversation with me. And they've had loads of those moments. Like I said, wish I'd have been there at the, uh, to get to see Osprey and, uh, and Havoc again, as someone who doesn't like Jimmy Havoc either, Martin, at this point. But that's a, you know, that's a great moment and match. And there's been loads of them, you know, throughout the time, ta- throughout time, you know, the big, you know the British strong style kind of push in their era of progress. Obviously, that came almost out of necessity with those guys being you know stopped up by NXT UK and them initially making that part of the story that they were going to be leaving progress with all the belts and they were going to be the this rebel heel faction that kind of worked out but kind of didn't. But like that growth during that period, you know, the amount of people whose entry to Brit Res was you know, partly through NXT UK, but you know a lot through watching those guys on top on progress and you know it might be a period that towards the end we all we all soured on but certainly early early on i thought pete dunn was a was a great progress champion himself and had some uh, very good matches at the top of the card as well yeah i would say you know from this decade you know vod highlights for me include progress stuff but i would say probably the best live shows i went to this decade were from being swept up in those progress atmospheres in in early 2016 just about into 2017 when things seemed to to change a little bit but i'd reckon a, a lot of people would have that that same story there really was something special about to progress during that period i mean we can't talk about big moments of the past decade uh, without talking about red pro as well i mean same as progress started up in 2012 um they really start getting people's attention, though, when they fetched in Justin Liger for a match with Prince Devitt. And um, I think it was the first time they ran York Hall in 2013. Um, they then followed that later in the year by bringing in the biggest star from New Japan, Hiroshi Tanahashi, for a match with Marty Skrull. Um, and then filled out the card with the likes of Will Ospreay, Paul Robinson, Ricochet, and, and Yashar Samuels. And um, then they brought Okada in for the first time in 2014. Um I know, I know Andy Quilden said this before, but this is huge. I mean, absolutely huge for a pro mm-hmm. getting these guys at the peak of their careers, not just like former WWE talents or whatever, but these guys were having five-star matches in the Tokyo Dome, and then you can go and see them in your call in London. And um, I mean, obviously, Red Pro becomes synonymous New Japan now, but uh, that was certainly uh, something to, to uh, stamp them in the minds of a lot of fans, Jamesy. Absolutely, and like we can't talk about about this decade just gone by. Like for me, the big story in wrestling, kind of almost in the past decade, was the reemergence of New Japan as a major worldwide force in wrestling. You know what I mean? And again, 
call it look, call it what you have you. But the fact that there was a, a a UK company, as that company was rising internationally, like, I mean, you, you kind of go back to Okada becoming the champion in 2012, and it's kind of been on an upward tra- trajectory ever since then. And the fact that there was a promotion in the UK who would actually bring those guys over, it was it was huge, you know what I mean? And the fact that, that there were two major companies kind of, say, in England, in RevPro and Progress, that, that were completely different, you know what I mean? Like Progress were doing their thing and RevPro were there doing their thing and they gave people something different, you know? And like, it's hard, kind of hard to believe when you look back at some of those cards, the, the matches that went on, you know what I mean? Like Summer Sizzler 2015, Oh. Nak- Nakamura against Roderick Strong. <laughs> what a, when you think about who, where those guys are now, five years later, you know what I mean. Uh, big demo against Ishi, and then and then on top of that, then you have Osprey against Side Island. That two or two, three, two out of three falls match. You know what I mean? Like it's amazing to look back at these cards. Uprising twenty fifteen, Tanahashi and Liger against Gato and Okada. Crazy, like Kyle O'Reilly against Kushida, which is when you think now where both those guys are, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Nakamura, a big demo, what a great match. One of the best, probably the best match big demo ever had. You know, it's it's just incredible to think that, you know, we talk about traveling to Japan and like like Japan doesn't seem that far away now because traveling to Japan to see wrestling has become normalized. In 2015, you know, it, it, it really felt far away and it wasn't the done thing for people in the West to go to Japan to watch wrestling for the most part. But you didn't have to. You could get in your car, drive down to York Hall and see genuinely, you know, the, the guys who at the time were winning the wrestler of the year. You know what I mean? And that's an incredible thing to be able to say. You know what I mean? And yes, you know, you can question the relationship sometimes now and the effect of it and that kind of thing. But at the time, to be seen peak Tanahashi, to be seen peak Okada in person, you know what I mean? To, to be able to do a meet and greet and get a photograph with these people, that's very special stuff, you know what I mean? And for this generation of fans, that's the equivalent of us getting to meet Kobashi and Masawa and that kind of thing, Benno, back in the decade before, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's the thing that, you know, if this thing does completely die off and go away, they're the things people will look back and point and go, God, like I met the best wrestler on the planet. I met the guy who was in the middle of that Okada-Tanahashi feud, maybe the greatest rivalry in all of wrestling. I got to see those guys live in York Hall. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's actually, mm. even looking back on those cards now, it's kind of mind-blowing, you know? Yeah, because yeah. Red Pro also tapped into that, sort of like similar to what um, Progress had done. Because I remember they put that Nakamura v. Zack Sabre Jr. matchup, I think they were 2014, and they put that up free on YouTube, and that created a lot of buzz around it. And they were also hand-in-hand hand with um, sort of like Prince Devitt setting up the Bullet Club. And I remember they had some angles at the end of the show. It's sort of like uh, Devitt just before he was about to leave WWE doing some Bullet Club stuff and that. And around that time, you know, all the fans were clamoring for the Bullet Club stuff, weren't they? So they were like, well, in with, with that, we're creating some buzz around them. And uh, yeah, definitely the, that Nakamura v. Zack Sabre Jr. match on YouTube, that definitely created a, a lot of new fans for Red Pro, I think, Bennett. Yeah, that was one of the first uh, matches I saw from Rev Pro, as well as like, yeah, during that like 2014 period and hearing people raving about this Will, Will Ospreay chap. Uh, I think that Matt Seidel match uh, was one of the shows that year. The AJ match, I think, was very early 2015. So I'd seen bits and pieces, and like from about, I mean, obviously they rose from the ashes of, of IPW UK, and I've been to a few IPW UK live shows in my time, and I've been hearing about this Rev Pro, you know, again. 
event, one of the first promotions, I heard some of my mates traveling down to uh, to go to, and my first instinct was, you're traveling for Brit Rev shows. Uh, little <laughs> did I know what was going on down there. Like uh, The first time I traveled for a Rev Pro show was, you know, you mentioned it at the top, Martin, the importance of, of New Japan and the, the Osprey um, Okada match, uh, 2015, uh, Global Wars, wasn't it? Uh, that was just, like, for me... I think I was aware of Osprey. I was aware of Rev Pro. I'd been following Brit Res for like 10 years at that point. And I think in my head, I kind of had Brit Res in a certain box of, you know, it's fun to go to live, but we're not competing on the world stage. Yeah. And I just remember going to that show and kind of that, I don't know, maybe that, that, that pessimism from me being blown away. Like that, that, that same show, uh, Nakamura against Marty Scale. And, you know, uh, Marty Scale isn't really known as a great bell to bell guy, uh, I wouldn't say these days, but he can certainly go on his day. And, you know, Nakamura has his days off as well. But as far as like keeping up with him from a character point of view, I remember, you know, that was one of the first time, like, the first time I'd seen Marty Scale as the villain um, rather than with that, that horrific tan. Uh, getting to see him there against Nakamura, it felt like. He, he held his own as a character. You know, it gets forgotten from that same night, but Tanahashi and some like called Big Damo uh, was actually the main event. Uh, and I thought Damo held as well. You know, Tanahashi can work magic with bad luck Farley, so he was always going to be fine with Big Damo, but that impressed me. But I think, yeah, it was Okada Osprey was kind of the turning point for me in my kind of thought on, on what Brit Rez could be. And obviously Osprey was exceedingly raw at that point and there was still plenty to go with him. But obviously Osprey uh, impressed Okada that night, impressed Gado that mm-hmm. night, led to him you know, getting booked in New Japan and them seeing something in him. And I would say that's another one of those pivotal points where I think ch- things changed. Uh, in this last decade, both for, for Will Ospreay's career, but for Brit Res in general, for Rev Pro, and even for, yeah, for my own, like, at that point, that's when I was following Rev Pro from, and, and going back and watching the shows from the from the 2000s, where I'd only previously maybe dipped in, where maybe Cole Cabana mentioned on his podcast, he was uh, defending his title uh, at some point at a Rev Pro show, and you know the odd match that had maybe yeah, come across my timeline, or, or get leaked to YouTube. Uh, but from that point on, yeah, that was where it was like, okay, Red Pro is a promotion. Everyone's been telling me, but I really do need to pay attention to. And Will Ospreay, you know, as a wrestler. And just the, the British guys in general at the top, we've got something here. We're at a point where, you know, our guys could potentially compete with the, the best in the world. Yeah, because as much as Will Ospreay was developed in a number of promotions, it was mainly progress on Red Pro. And I think especially mm-hmm. Red Pro, like you said, those two matches... He had with Matt Seidel, the two out of three, four matches. And then I think it was on the first Okada, your call show, and um, Osprey and Seidel headlined that. And he, That's know, right. Obviously, looking you know, looking at Matt Seidel in 2020, you know, he's, he, he's nothing these days, is he? But, you know, think he was so such such a pivotal person in sort of like developing Osprey and, you know, bringing him out sort of thing for the, for the world to notice. So I think certainly Red Pro were like crucial in uh, developing Will Osprey as a wrestler. But, um, I mean, looking back, um, uh, another sort of like pivotal moment of uh, of the past decade, and we we can't talk about it without talking about the World of Sport revival. Um, the tapings held in November and then screened on New Year's Eve 2016. I mean, at the time, we all had eye outs for this, with them using the likes of you know Grado and Will Ospreys and this, and then the series that followed in 2018. And uh, Jamesy, it wasn't quite to be for World of Sport, was it? 
Is this is this the part of the podcast where our lovely positive positive? <laughs> we, we, we've been praising ICW. We've been praising Jimmy Havoc. Like we we're completely rolling back on stuff that we've said on this podcast before. <laughs> is this the point where our where our positivity kind of bursts? Because um, like there's no way around it. Like this this really this might be the most important moment of the decade. This thing setting up. You know what I mean? Like it's it's um it messed the whole thing up really like let's be honest you know what I mean and and again I, I don't know do we have to spend ages talking about this you know what I mean because at the end of the day it's something that we talk about on a regular basis like but you know it it, it put British wrestling back on free to air TV for the first time in decades uh, as you said Benno we all had high hopes we were all very optimistic about it but unfortunately WWE didn't take kindly to the fact that um, there was going to be a semblance of competition for them, you know what I mean? And, you know, what always makes me sad is if they had just maybe sat back for six months and actually let the show air. And, you know, and, and if they had just realized that, let's be honest, it, it, like it wasn't good. I, like I, the only positive thing I could ever say about it was we got a, a semi-decent Will Ospreay match out of it. But like it wasn't a good TV show. It, it didn't do especially great numbers for ITV. They never did a second series of it. If they had just left it, the whole thing probably would have just died out on its own anyway. You know what I mean? But what it prompted was was. NXT UK, and as I said, we're treading over old ground talking about that at this point and what that has done to the scene and what that has done to this great scene that we've been waxing lyrical about for the last half an hour, you know. Yeah, it's so funny when you go back to that two-day tournament that WWE held in January 2017 with Tyler Bate beating Pete Dunne in the final for the uh, UK Championship. I mean, we all really enjoyed it at the time. I mean, Benno, weren't Mm -hmm. you even there live for that one? I've got the uh, the distinction of being maybe the one one of the only men who was there live at uh, maybe the Ogdens as well live at the World of Sport taping and live at uh, yeah the first WWE UK tournament. Let's see two uh, two momentous days in the in Britres this last decade. Uh, yeah, I mean I'll be honest, like with the the, the full blown negativity wasn't quite there yet, was it, Martin? Like the first time me and you podcast was around this period, wasn't it? We did the uh, the PWN Catchcast uh, year in review. And I do remember talking to you about it, kind of saying, ah, you know, what's the what's the politics going to be like? You know, are we going to, if World of Sports exists and WWE UK exists as it was at the time, what's going to happen to these progress shows? You know, naively, you know, are they going to book winners and losers? Uh, how is everyone going to work together? You know, what's how's this all going to work out? And yeah, it wasn't a, it was kind of a, maybe what we thought and, and more. Um, but yeah, I mean, at, at both, I, I think I was, I mean, ITV World of Sports, I mean, that day, I mean, it was it's like a they they were given tickets out and they give away it's a it's a famous story now what they give away like a thousand too many tickets uh thinking it was like any other kind of tv taping where not everyone will turn up and they didn't rely on the fact that british wrestling fans for a big event we will turn out in numbers <laughs> uh and there were many people including like i think i think actually andy ogden got in uh, and jeff ogden didn't i think that was the story with those lads and there were plenty of people with similar stories and you know, it was a big queue plenty of people there a good atmosphere and then we sat down and it was yeah it was very much like a almost like a tv game show uh with the hype man between segments telling them what to do them handing out phone fingers and pre-written signs to fans and we kind of knew what we were in for at that point they rolled out they wheeled out max beasley senior to be the uh be the, uh, <laughs> be the commissioner remember the british wrestler legend uh yeah he, he was it once he came out and once we kind of saw that you know, the holiday camp 
American Gladiators kind of presentation with Grado being this generation's big daddy, you know, Cyanide and Dave Mastiff and the lads. Uh, I think it was Dave Mastiff was the main heel on that taping, essentially being a giant haystacks and yeah, just really muted PG wrestling. It was just a very, very surreal night indeed. You know, we had fun. And I remember thinking at the time, thinking, you know, as light entertainment, you know, it's a little bit naive, but I could see this making for a fun TV special. Uh, but yeah, didn't really translate to TV and the series didn't work. And yet, same thing for the movie UK. I was there live and I thought, you know, I had a good time at the show live. Uh, you know, it was kind of cool at that time to see, you know, your local favorites on a on a WWE network and getting, you know, a hero's welcome. And I'm a whole load of... Uh, New Brit Res fans, I say, I think that's a big legacy of NXT UK and WWK. Were created that night. Wouldn't quite say the same for a variety of world of sport, but I'd probably say for different reasons for both. That was probably the the peak of uh, the run for WWE UK, and certainly the uh, the peak of uh, of ITV world of sport. Yeah, it's funny to think back how sort of positive we were at that first World of Sport taping and then WWE UK, so we were like, oh, well, this works, and, you know, and, <laughs> oh, well, you know, uh, World of Sport's a nice bit of nostalgia, and then the more you watch it, you're like, actually, no, this is crap, so... <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's it, and WWE UK again, you know, I remember thinking at the time, oh, this could work, you know, there's a progress we're running that same weekend, thought that was a bit shitty, WWE WWE to go against Poor Progress, uh, running in uh, where were they running Birmingham, and they uh, they took Pete Dunne, Tyler Bate, and uh, and Trent Seven from them for that night. Uh, the their Midlands stars uh, didn't see it coming. Oh no, it'll be fine. They'll uh, they'll make it work. They'll, they're going to put the WWE machine behind this product, and uh, you know at the very least, you know it might might uh, cause problems for the Indies, but we're going to get a a polished uh, NXT NXT like product. Uh, but yeah, it didn't quite uh, end up as uh, as positive as maybe some of us were in those uh, fair nights even if we could see those warning signs and uh moving on to something um something a bit more positive and uh we can't talk about this decade without the rise of walter and um and irish wrestling really coming to the forefront jamesy absolutely yeah like and um i kind of in my head always divide the history of ott into three years and like you guys talked about maybe chapters one to ten of progress being kind of not the best and that kind of thing and maybe the first year and a half of OTT was was, was such a I look back on it now like and it was such a different promotion to what we have now I, I would call it the Luther Ward era like it was when Joe Cabret himself the booker was kind of the top guy in the company um, it was a lot of the kind of older local acts like your Justies and your Gymnasties Kings of the North were kind of the backbones of the shows they didn't quite know what they wanted to be as a promotion yet you know what I mean so they, they, they there was a lot of comedy on the shows um, it was a bit attitude era at times especially in the first few shows um, like your fly-ins were the likes of Scotty Too Hotty and Rhino and these kind of things and like we were when they'd announced Rhino we were all popping for Rhino that's how that's how innocent we were back in the days like that we, we'd get to <laughs> we'd get to see Rhino live in the Tivoli you know what I mean and how far we've come from there you know what I mean and then the kind of the, the second period in their history I, I would call the Pete Dunne era and like I would always credit OTT with being the first kind of major European promotion to like you could say attack but like would you call them a major promotion but the first major promotion to kind of have Pete Dunne as their ace and as their champion you know what I mean and there was a long period there where 
you know, we were starting to get the, the, the good fly-ins then. We were getting Chris Hero. We were getting Marty Skirl on a regular basis. We were getting Osprey. We were getting all the top UK guys. Zach was coming over for the odd show. Um, and Pete Dunn was the ace. And you were fant- basically every time somebody was announced, you were fantasy booking Pete Dunn against this guy. You know what I mean? So that, that was his kind of a run. And then the third period I would call then the kind of the the star Devlin Walter period, the kind of the last kind of 18 months to two years. And I will always say like Walter deserves massive credit because I feel like the minute Walter walked into OTT, they they, they went from being a large European indie and, and, and indie at that point that was well known and people in the UK were talking about them. I kind of think they went from that to being a worldwide indie and an indie that was kind of on everyone's lips. You know what I mean? And like, I, I remember he, he just kind of, it seemed like he elevated everyone with him. He kind of seemed to drag everybody up. Um, like I remember the first match he did in OTT was him and him and Loki against um, Star and Devlin. And I just remember the first time him and Devlin squared off. And there was just magic in the air straight away. There was just something about the way those two kind of faced up. You just felt like there was something special there. And like, you know, the whole thing snowballed from there. You know, that they eventually went to the first match between him and Jordan. And like, that was it. That was a match that people were talking, you know, a lot of people were calling that their worldwide match of the year in 2018. We had the likes of Dave Meltzer and John Pollock from this website talking about an OTT match and that had never happened before you know like uh, OTT matches would the odd time get a little bit of international attention but everybody was talking about this match and this feud you know what I mean uh, and it went on from there and we, we've covered this feud at length at this stage you know it, it brought in star there were tag matches that came off us we got the great matches this year from us um, but I will always say that when Walter walked in he felt like a massive deal he felt like this world superstar coming into OTT and it's like he's brought the whole thing up himself to a new level. You know what I mean? And we might be talking later on about most important wrestlers of the decade or wrestler of the decade. Like, and you have to kind of give Walter serious consideration for that, for, for kind of what he's done in the last two or three years and the Indies, like, because to my mind, he's a massively important figure in the history of OTT. Yeah, definitely. It's like you said, it did seem to be that turning point. Cause obviously OTT got a lot of flack from like, oh, you use so many imports and not enough Irish guys. And then it seemed to be that turning point around the time Walter came in where, you know, there was this rise in um, Irish talent and then also this fantastic storyline on top with the main Irish wrestler that was drawing a lot of fans in. So um, also, I mean, obviously you can't talk about Walter without talking about WXW as well, Jamesy. Absolutely. And I suppose WXW are kind of unique amongst the promotions we've discussed so far in that like WXW are coming up to their 20th anniversary. And I think some people don't realize how long they've been around. Like they've been around for a long, long time, you know, and like we talk about companies you know, changing over time. Like there was a time when WXW were a deathmatch tournament promotion and they had the likes of Tumtack Jack doing deathmatches and that kind of thing. And slowly, <laughs> yeah, and slowly but surely they kind of, you know, they, they kind of grew out of that and they decided they were going to go a different route, different route. But like, if like, I always say that, that, that their um, video on demand service is one of the best value for money around because like the back catalogue of matches that they have is incredible. Like, so like you look back at 2011, 16 characters in 2011 you've Goshi Izaki Daisuke Sekimoto El Generico Kotaro Suzuki Zack Sabre Jr um, Adam Cole Kyle O'Reilly Marty Skrull like you know 
bringing in big names and imports isn't a new thing like and WXW have been doing that for at least the last decade you know what I mean and it's it's it's, it's a, they're just a promotion that have grown and grown and like I remember Alan Forel was 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 the first brave man who who was kind of I think it might have been Sekimoto or Shingo Tatagi uh, being on a carrot that kind of was the draw for him he was the first brave man that ventured over say for, from Ireland the UK to go to a carrot and look at what it's kind of snowballed into at this stage where there's 50 to 100 people. Like you, you go to Carrot now uh, and it, you might as well be at a Brit rest show or an OTT show because, you, you you know, you hear English and Irish accents all over the place, you know. Um, and like, you know, if you're talking about promotions of the decade, it will be hard to look past them purely for the fact that they have been going for a whole 10 years, that they've been, you know, they've been bringing in top stars and all the while kind of nurturing their old talent. Like, you know what I mean? And like they were the ones who developed Walter, Ilya Dragunov, Bad Bones, you know, some of these guys are now the top NXT UK guys, you know, um, and another kind of turning point in their decade, I think, was Carrot 2017. Yeah. Which had, um, they brought in Cody Rhodes, which was kind of a big name for them to bring into a Carrot. But that final between Ilya and Walter that year, like, again, you, you talk about the, the Devil and Walter match getting worldwide acclaimed. That was a similar one where it was being mentioned up there with the, with the best New Japan matches as a match of the year candidate. And like, if you look at, I'd love to know the numbers of UK and Irish that went to Carrot 17. There were some, and at that stage, there was a kind of a bunch of hardcores who were already traveling to Carrot. But by the time Carrot 2018 came around, it was massive. And like, I, I always see that tournament as as one of the major turning points where they went from a very big German promotion that that, that that maybe hardcore fans were watching online. And there was like, there were people who, people I know who were watching WXW 2015, 16, 17, but all of a sudden, it, you know, Karis became the place to go. And it really has become the major kind of destination weekend of European wrestling now, this 16 Karis thing. And 2017 definitely was the turning point in that for sure. Yeah, it definitely is for me. Like I, you know, back in the day, Martin, when we used to do this show with uh, with Ollie Court, uh, SoundCloud.com slash Ollie's World, uh, we used mm-hmm. to. He 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 was one of those people out there, and for that, you know, that big Ilya Walter match, and one of the people raving about that on you know the previous version of this podcast. And yeah, I just remember getting that that real the similar feeling of uh, jealousy that I got seeing you in Japan this uh, this past two yeah. years, Martin. I got that same. Feeling feeling of right i've got to do this next yeah. time uh, i've got to make this work uh, and i think yeah i'm part of that that same kind of new wave of, of generation of people getting into the wxw from that point but obviously always being aware of them i wish like i remember very early on and i can't even remember if it was a carrot or a tag tournament or what it was that they had going on but like 2000 mid 2000s one of my mates from america was traveling over for wxw and he's trying to talk me into doing it i could have beat alan farrell to it i could have been that guy sadly i'm not <laughs> uh, sadly we're, we're all following alan farrell <laughs> as usual uh but yeah very very late to the party admittedly myself but you know i've done all all the carrots since like i said earlier on the show but my flights to uh, to go out this year, and I do think it is that pivotal moment where, and I, I think it's I think it's that one two compo as well. It's that it's that twenty seventeen moment and that match, and the, and you hear all the reviews, and then the twenty eighteen 
when they did the three-way, Ilya Walter yeah, and, uh, exactly. and Bad Bones. Yeah. And I don't think any, I think everybody who saw that clip thought, right, I want to get that out mm-hmm. there as well. Yeah. Do wonder how many of those types of clips uh, we're going to see going forward with WXW. But, you know, I'm quietly hopeful about uh, this year's carrots, but they feel like really pivotal moments in getting WXW on the worldwide stage. And while, you know, never going to do down, you know, how popular they've been in Germany and how well they've done to be running so long. But I do think, yeah, something changed in the last couple of years. And you can put it down to those moments. You can put it down to Walter. But you can just put it down overall to just a really well-run wrestling company that have uh, weathered storms that uh, lots of other European wrestling companies haven't. Yeah, I think there was one year I was really tempted to go. I think it was the year Tommy End won it. Uh, might have been 2015, mm-hmm. maybe. But yeah, I remember like he was like a big name in uh, obviously now Alistair Black in WWE. But he was like a big name for WXW, and he was ripping it up um, all over the UK as well. And I remember wishing that I'd gone to that one. But I mean, moving away from WXW and onto like um, seemed to be a big thing this past re- decade. Uh, wrestlers starting their own promotions. Obviously, we had. Pete Dunne with Attack and then Trent Seven with Fight Club Pro. And um, I mean, Fight Club Pro are an interesting one because they started in tiny venues and places like the Planet Nightclub in Wolverhampton. And then they really started to gain a loyal fan base by bringing in the likes of Davey Richards for, mans- for matches with Trent and then building up their own stars such as MK McKinnon. Um, but they really exploded with the likes of uh, Trent Seven, Pete Dunne, and Tyler Bate uh, being featured on WWE TV. I mean, surely the peak of them was bringing the Elite in for that massive match against British Strong Style in 2017. I mean, that that drew a massive number for them, didn't it, Benno? Oh, yeah. And that, that was the... I feel like that was Fight Club Pro reading the room and, you know, seeing that this boom was on. I'm just thinking, you know, what, what's the biggest thing we could put on? Okay, let's try a tournament. What's the biggest match we could put on? And, you know, it doesn't sound like, I saw Will say to you on Twitter, it doesn't sound like a real match, does it, at this point? British Strong Style against the Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. But it happened. They pulled it off politically. Lots of people got nice photos with, uh, with all six men. And Fight Pro pulled the trigger at the exact right time. Obviously, you know, I think they first came onto my radar, you know, from the planet days. And you'd see those photos of the fans behind the cage um, at their shows and just see that grimy atmosphere. And hear about, like you say, Davey Richards being out there. I think did Kevin Owens do a spot or two for them yeah, in the so, early yeah. days. I think he was around too. And that's kind of when it come across my radar. But yeah, kind of like the grimy, maybe deathmatchy promotion. Didn't know a huge amount about it. They then went to the fiction and were putting on shows that just, again... We don't think of Fight Club Pro as a, vi- uh, a video-on-demand promotion whatsoever, but I do think their Vimeo, you know, that they started to launch around, what was it, 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. and showed how great the fiction looked as a venue. I think that paid off as well as word of mouth of you can go to you can go to Wolverhampton of all places and have this PWG-like uh, experience of great matches and a and a great night out. And yeah, I do think the Dream Tag Team Invitational was, you know, they timed that well, moved to that, you know, the Diamond Banquet and Suite and put on that great big event, you know, with a Pentagon and a Phoenix on there as well um, and really, really took advantage of the boom and took advantage of the fact that they're in Wolverhampton. So you talk about traveling fans being able to make it, you know, the Midlands is always a, you know, maybe, maybe Wolverhampton isn't the best place once you're there. Sorry, Will. But an easy one to... Uh, <laughs> travel to um, and yeah they, they really made that work and i would say yeah if we're talking big moments across the decade that's got to be one of them you know the elite and british strong style and fight club pro have had great nights since and and lots of great matches some of which we'll probably uh talk about in a bit um lots of you know one-off dream match kind of matches 
tournaments too and just good weekenders um, all in all. Uh, but again, I've kind of made them a, a bit of a destination promotion. And uh, they became, a, I would say, uh, they went from, in my mind, being maybe an attack level player, you know, in the in their early days and into the mid to 2000s towards the end of the 2000s to be you know you could arguably say they're either you know the number two or three promotion uh in brit res and you know part of that came from the you know the fact that the wear them out and how how much fun their shows looked and part of it came from the talent they had too i mean how many of our how many of the big british stars at this point are from the midlands you know wwe hits their wagon hard to that uh, and fight club pro has had all those guys and has some of them still uh, but are still turning out to great talent too so yeah they, they were kind of a i thought a real real success story of the the mid to the end of the 2000s by club pro well it was interesting because when the scene did start sort of like really taking off in sort of like the middle of the decade uh what culture threw the hat into the ring didn't they they were a successful online site and uh produced some good looking shows with the host of british names mixed in with the personalities from the what culture youtube channel obviously Fans of the personalities ate this stuff up, but for people like me, I didn't quite know what to make of what I was watching at first. And um, I feel like they realized that the personalities, because uh, they made them less part of the show and the focus went more on the wrestling. And the, and, and I think they obviously the pinnacle for them was the What Culture World Cup, which ran for months, I mean, uh, yes. up and down before... Wrapping up with a, a great semis and then finals over three days. I mean, we saw Will Ospreay against Rey Mysterio, Will Ospreay against Mike Bailey, and Will Ospreay against Ricochet. Um, I mean, WCPW ended up folding, only to come back as Defiant, who also folded last year. I mean, they had a huge problems, especially um, not having a great relationship with uh, WWE, but they had... Many detractors during the first years, but those World Cup finals over three days were definitely the highlight of the promotion, and especially when you could watch it all three on YouTube. Was that, was that something you were checking out, Jamesy? Oh, yeah. Again, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I loved the promotion by any means, but as you said, Martin, they had their high points. And, like, I really loved that Mysterio Osprey match, and especially the post match. Um, when, when kind of Osprey's talking to Ray and, and kind of telling him how much he meant to him as a fan, and Ray gives him the mask as a, as a gift and that kind of thing, and um, you know, there that was a genuinely great moment. You know what I mean? And I would say if you ask with Osprey about his career highlights and you think about all the people he's wrestled, I would say he'd name that moment as one of his top five or top ten moments of his career so far. You know, so uh, they were the first promotion to do Walter against Osprey. I think didn't you oh, yeah. travel to that? I know, yeah, you know, like so they, they did things. You know, they did significant things and I do think they were unlucky and like yes the NXT UK a WWE thing had a role in them dying off but their problem was they, they kind of hitched their wagon to the YouTube monetization thing and they were hoping to make their money from getting YouTube clicks and when their terms of service changed and when the YouTube business model changed, that's what killed them ultimately. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they were, they, were un, they were unlucky. You know what I mean? And they were a part of, of, the, of the wrestling scene. Uh, they there were definitely people who came to Brit Rest because of what culture. I think, if anything, yeah. that is their legacy as a promotion. You know, they brought in non-wrestling fans to being fans of wrestling. And I do think some of those people then stayed around and started going to see Progress and Rev Pro and got into New Japan and that kind of thing. So they brought people to the scene. Um, they played their role in the scene. And as I said, you know, it's easy to just say, oh, NXT UK killed them. There were other factors in there in them dying off. You know what I mean? And that YouTube thing you know you could say they were silly to kind of hitch their entire financial wagon to youtube but it was unlucky as well you know what i mean and and you know i i, I can't say that i missed them from the scene but mm-hmm. they were an they were an important part of the scene at the time and and 
Yeah, bringing fans in, I think. As I said, let's try and keep it positive and that kind of thing. <laughs> I think bringing people into into UK wrestling will, will be their legacy and will, will be the thing we remember them fondly for. Yeah, and also yeah. I think they suffered from the fact that their first few shows were like stacked with like big stars like Kurt Angle and Cody Rhodes oh, wow. and people like that. And then, yeah. and then when you try and double down and make it all about the Brit guys and the people who were brought in through Kurt Angle and Cody Rhodes might not stick around for that, I don't think, Bennett. Yeah, that was always the diminishing returns of their uh, their business model, wasn't it? You might get three people through the door, and you know you mentioned it yourself the the personality models, you know, putting on the their their YouTube personalities that aren't for people of our age, are we? But they probably got people through the door as well at the start. You know, people who are familiar with them from YouTube and and maybe not familiar with the local wrestlers. And like you say, yeah, they tried to do the same thing with the with using those big names and you know putting on matches that did absolutely you know incredible youtube numbers by anybody's standard you know i think that that Rey mysterio alberto albatron match that's on youtube i think like, at last check it was ticking up to about 60 million viewers yeah. on youtube i know nice. it's a real it's a, it's an outlier because i think that the next down was like you know about 10 million something like that for those uh i think there were the mysterio ricochet mysterio osprey matches that they had on their shows as well but there were people outside of our bubble like james he said who checked them out who got into them and then discovered you know even in the early days some of the wwe uk guys that were on their shows and then later on you know some lesser known Brit res names, you know, people did get over. Martin Kirby got over in the mm, fire wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, like James, you said, if we've got to remember the positive about them, they made, you know, bonehead moves as far as, you know, business goes a lot of the time. But one thing they really did, yeah, was bring people in. And I know people who, who did really, who were WWE fans through and through, who subscribed to the What Culture YouTube channel and then found themselves watching matches from this What Culture Pro Wrestling and then later the fire wrestling. So, yeah, I'd say along with, you know, as much as we hate it too, WWE UK. I think as far as influx into the scene of of new eyeballs, I think I'd have to give them a, a solid number two behind WWE as far as influence goes. And, um, something, to... some... Sorry, James. Sorry, but I was just going to say something else that they struggled with was how to print, how to present people as well. And I just True. I wonder about the wrestling acumen of the people behind the scenes because I remember they brought it. Remember they brought Minoru Suzuki in. Oh, oh yeah. In, 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 in maybe was it twenty sixteen or twenty fifteen? Now number one, they put him in with Joe Coffey, and we know about Joe Coffey. Probably not the best person to put him in the ring with, but like they didn't like that. That's that's a fan base who will not know who Minoru Suzuki is. These are not new Japan fans. You know what I mean? So you need to tell those people who this guy is, why he's important, what he means, why why it's so special that this guy is coming because he wasn't coming over with Rev Pro at, at that point. I think that was maybe his first time ever in the UK. And like there's pictures of him sitting at a merch table at those shows and nobody came near him because they didn't understand when I, I don't think they even played Kaze Nina Nare for him. Things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, And you just wonder. Yeah, exactly. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah. They didn't yeah. play the, the, the bit that people sing, but like, yeah. would the people there have even sung it? That's the thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't have even known it. But that's the point. You know what I mean? Like somebody had the bright idea of bringing him in, but there's no point in bringing a guy like him in unless you tell people why he's important. Because like, you see Rev Pro bringing him in a year later, and he like he he's the guy that main events the Copper Box 
in 2019. You know what I mean? And, and has that entire 5,000 people in that venue dying for him to beat Kazuchika Okada. You know what I mean? And that's the difference between a wrestling promotion who knows how to pre- present somebody and who knows how to kind of give a fan base what they want and a wrestling company that maybe doesn't understand their own fan base. And, and maybe that was the difference as well. Silly decisions like that. There's no way he was cheap to bring in like for Defiant in 2015, 2016. He would have cost them a fortune as well, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think there were it's like you noted there, there were a number of things like that and it was it was it was a bit of a head scratcher. I think it was second match on the card as well, and like Benno just said, I think <laughs> the ring announced talked all over the entrance and then they cut it yeah. before they got to the bit. Anyway, oh. but um I mean also we also saw a lot of small promotions uh sort of like uh doing their own thing, sort of like in the past decade, using their own crew of wrestlers and creating their own unique identity. I mean you've got places like Riptide and Brighton, Tidal in Leeds, although Title did originally start a bit haphazardly. I think they fetched Adam Cole in for the first couple of shows, sort of running before they could walk, and I think they had to cancel a couple of shows, but they seem to have uh, evened out now with uh, you know their own guys and uh, creating quite the fan base in Leeds. Uh, a few chockers, you mentioned, Ben O'Brien, Sheffield, and a number of others. So, yeah, certainly a good sort of like undergrap scene as it's now, now been coined. And uh, then I also just wanted to shout out uh, Eve as well, obviously. All-female promotion drew a very good crowd to York Hall, capped off by a great match between Charlie Morgan and Sammy Jane, and, and obviously received tons and tons of mainstream press for the unique shows they've been putting on. So uh, a couple there to uh, shout out before, because I really wanted to get into the matches of the decade. I mean, again, not a definitive list, and we'll, we'll probably miss your favourites off, but this is just our personal opinions, and... Uh, me and Benno have been lazy, but James, he loves a good list and he's uh, put together a top <laughs> 10 list for, for us for uh, for this show. I have indeed, yeah. As I said, love a list. I, I'm kind of doing a, a bit of an overall uh, worldwide kind of um, decade look back anyway. I'm trying to come up with my, with my top 10 of the decade overall. So I, I just decided in the last few weeks to kind of focus on the European stuff. Uh, will I kind of list it and let, let you guys say a bit about each match? Is that the best way of doing it? Like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to take up ages with it. Or, yeah. So number 10 is a match we, we didn't really mention so far. From 2016, uh, Progress, um, Super Strong Style 16 was Chris Hero against Mark Anderson. Andrews on night one. I mean, that's one of the best matches uh, Mark Andrews ever had, in my opinion. And uh, this was, like, you know, there, 2016, this is when Hero was ruling the UK, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing the gimmick on NXT UK now as, like, a British wrestling legend. But there's a real <laughs> argument there for Chris Hero being a, a British wrestling legend, both in, like, how he's continued on the style, the great work he did over here, you know, the King of Europe Club for, for Ring of Honor, you know, doing the, the, the all-star camps, that type of stuff. And then, yeah, that run uh, in 2016 where he was just on fire. Yeah. Uh, and he was genuinely one of the best wrestlers in the world and it was a fucking travesty when he got signed by <sighs> NXT again and they just put him back stuffed him back in the locker and now they only bust him out for NXT UK and he can't even make a takeover it's an absolute <laughs> disgrace uh, but yeah you know, the Andrews match isn't one I've watched uh, again recently but yeah one I've got got great memories of like Hero playing the, the bully to, to Andrews in one of his career performances I would probably say uh, as a babyface as an underdog uh, um, and as a flyer, uh, yeah, it kind of came at like the peak of my interest in uh, in Mark Andrews, and yeah, the peak of that massive run for a hero slash Ono. But yeah, it should go down in a uh, in legend as uh, as far as Brit Res goes. 
Yeah, and that 2016 super strong style, I would view that as one of the one of the peaks of progress. I thought that was a great weekend of wrestling. Like even Hero alone, he had Andrews in the first round. I think it was Walter in the quarterfinals and then Tommy End in the semifinals and like three unbelievable matches. Like what a weekend, you know what I mean? And you think about tournaments now and think about those guys being available and look what we have available for tournaments now. Like, and it kind of does pale in comparison, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so number nine, uh, a match that we did mention earlier uh, from 2017 Pete Dunne against Tyler Bates in the final of the UK tournament um, yeah. again Ben O'Shea you, you were there at that I'm sure you can give us a great insight as to what the, the live experience for that was yeah and that's like I probably that's the cause of uh, so many positive reviews coming out of uh, that weekend myself included because we were getting to see two wrestlers who we all knew were great and we'd all seen our great matches but getting to see them you know at that time in a big setting in front of, you know, the bright lights in front of a worldwide audience and to just pick that chemistry up, you know, where they, where they last left it in like an attack ring. Uh, yeah. I just, the one thing I remember about this one is just how smooth the exchanges are between the two of them. Like they could wrestle a match against each other with their eyes closed. And yeah, you could, you could tell that in person and you could tell that watching it back on the VOD as well. It was, this was, you know, the best of what a, WWE presentation of UK wrestling could be like the hopeful fan in me looking at that two of our best doing the match that you know we all may have seen it in leisure centers all around the country or on like an odd Shikara show maybe if you're lucky but getting to do it and get it presented to the entire world yeah I would absolutely say that was a, a proud moment in a in Brit Reza in the tents and clearly defined characters as well over that two yes. years over that Pete Dunne was like, you know, this yeah. fucking cocky bastard and then Tyler Bate was the young, plucky sort of baby face. And yeah, I thought they really did well over those two days getting those uh, characters so that, you know, the the crowd clearly know to follow in, when they finally got to the finals of it. And watching it back, like having just watched that NXT UK takeover, say a couple of weeks ago, watching it back and I was struck by the genuine heel heat that Pete Dunne had. Like he was, he wasn't getting ironic cheers or anything like that. People genuinely despised him. And like, they really, really wanted Tyler Bay to win. It was a proper face heel divide. And like, when you look at that, that crowd to me was so much hotter in that match compared to the takeover. We just had a couple of weeks ago. Like it was like chalk and cheese comparing them really, you know? Um, So anyway, number eight is from 2018 again in progress. It's Walter against Zack Sabre Jr. Um, This to me would be one of the great rivals of the decade like these those guys have wrestled all over the world in WXW in Evolve um, always have a great match and I feel like this one is is one of the it, probably the best match of their rivalry um, I don't know it's one of those ones you kind of have to watch back to remember it's very technical based it's extremely physical like they slap the shit out of each other at times in this one you know it's one of those things two guys who know each other well and kind of feel feel free to take liberties against each, each other but uh, one of the best matches in progress history to my mind and the first time of Manny that Walter appears on the list from now yeah, completely agree. I mean, I, you know, it's like you said, but that match came and sort of like, unless you were watching it back, it's, it's hard to remember that it happened. But I do remember that appearing on a lot of people's best of the match, uh, best uh, matches of the year in 2018. And then number seven is a match we mentioned earlier. Uh, it, it, it's the 16 carat gold final from 2017, Walter against Ilya Dragunov. As I said, not just a great match, but an important match in WXW history. I, I felt for for the importance of it, and for just how good the wrestling was. Like it's 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 like uh, it's like watching a kind of an all Japan nineties match. Like just 
violent chops like the mess that Walter makes of Ilya Dragunov's chest in this match mm-hmm. like is unbelievable you know what I mean and and a, a different match I think a type of match that European wrestling fans probably weren't used to seeing at the time um, and as I said for its importance and for how good it was um, I kind of had to put that on there like at the time I gave that five stars and I had it like that was 2017 that was the year when New Japan were really firing on all the cylinders with the Kenny matches and the Okada matches I think I had that match right up there with them as match of the year in 2017 you know Wow. Yeah. And for me, this was one where, like, again, the reviews coming out of it live were just people throwing five stars at it. And you, you sometimes you go in with a bit of trepidation, don't you? When, you, when you're actually going to see it on VOD for the first time, is this as good as everybody was saying that was there live? And yeah, it, it really did help. It, it held up. And it was just like a, it's like a, you know, a Walter as final boss. And Walter is like, you know, this, I don't know, but more of it felt like a hard hitting kind of, you know, Japanese heavyweight match against maybe a slightly smaller guy, but with all the intensity in the world that Ilya's got and the incredible selling that he can do and just, just how good he, how much chemistry he's got with Walter and how good he is at wrestling underneath from Walter as well. Yeah, I think I had this, I'm pretty sure I gave this my match of the year for that year as far as Europe goes, unless something else ran it close, but it was definitely in consideration for me as well. Just, yeah, an incredible match in one world well worth going and uh, and checking out on the VOD and then at number six uh, my first of a few OTT matches coming up uh, this <laughs> is this is from 2018 and it's the it's the first Devlin against Walter match and um, this is a, this like this is a great match and I I, I rewatched all those OTT matches kind of in chronological order in the feud a few nights ago. I was expecting this to maybe be one or two on the list. Um, and w- when I watched it back, you're kind of watching it knowing what it, what came afterwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at the time, this felt like one of the best European matches of all time. And like, it's number six on Match of the Decade. Like, that's a good match. You know what I mean? You're saying it's the sixth best match of every match that happened in Europe in the 2010s. Um, I, I think when you see it in hindsight, you realize that it's it's kind of, it's the first match of the rivalry. So it's the match that's putting things in place. Like they're, they're having to establish Walter as this dominant champion. So it's a really decisive win. You know what I mean? Like Jordan, when you look back, doesn't get an awful lot in this match. They're, they're establishing little things that they then develop in the feud, like things like it's the first time you see Jordan doing the punch sequence and that's maybe the one time in the match he kind of has a little bit of hope. Um, but like this is a genuinely great match. Like the, the, the heat the crowd in the building, the commentary. It's the first time we see one of those great video packages from Sean Ryan before it. As an overall package, like it's a great, great match. Yeah, I've got so on the the great memories from that match. And I mean, Jordan Devlin was my wrestler of the year that year. And that match sort wow. of like really, you know, stamped the uh, sort of like seal on him being like, you know, a, a world beater in my, in my opinion anyway. Yeah, and that's it. And it was the I think it was the entry we talked about, you know, WXW in the previous match, Walter Ilya maybe being an entry point. I think for the parts of the world and the parts of the fandom that weren't paying attention to OTT, this was where people came in, wasn't it? It was Sean Ryan. You know, it was he got he got everybody around the world from Dave Meltzer to John Pollock talking about OTT yeah. uh, and watching this match and the work in the ring gave it too. So yeah, as far as like historical significance, this has really got to be up there from the decade. And then number five, we're moving into a match just from last year. It's the David Starr-Walter match from OTT, um, WrestleRama 3. And again, you know, I, I didn't expect to have this above the match previously, but like, you know, 
I spoke to, to Star on his podcast and we kind of talked about this match in detail. Like the, 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 some of the stuff in this match is next level. Like that, that, that as I said, the, the thing I'll always recall from this match is the visual pin where where Star pins him and there's no referee and he can't get the count. Um, but like uh, as a match, it's Star against Walter. The chemistry is amazing. There's incredible legwork from Star in it. I don't feel like we need to go on and on about this match too much because it's a match we, we talked about kind of only on the last show, really, uh, on the 2019 show. It's a match we talked about during the year when we when we discussed it. Like, But it absolutely holds up on rewatch. Um, and just an amazing match, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. like you say, obviously we went into 2019 like in depth uh, pretty recently, but it, it just goes shows much as we're saying sort of like the sort of like scenes on a downturn that uh, you know we're getting a lot of like really good matches from last year. Yeah, definitely, and mainly from the uh, the Irish <laughs> end of the world. Uh, I think it is. And then number four, I, I'm pretty sure this is a match you guys haven't seen. It's a match that a lot of people haven't seen. I would call this match the great hidden gem of the decade in European wrestling. It's from WXW. I mentioned it before when we were talking about, uh, I think we did a Q&A at one point earlier in the earlier in the year. It's from 2013 in WXW and it's it's a very young Walter and Avalanche uh, in a tag team at the time. They were called the Outsiders against Axel Dieter Jr. and Mac Cotton Spicy. Um, like, People need to seek out this match. It's it's on the WXW on demand service. It's on high spots as well, I believe. Um, but this match is something else. Like it, it's four young, hungry wrestlers. Uh, the, the Walter and Avalanche team are the monster heels, and the two other guys are like kind of baby face juniors going up against them. And you can imagine the way the match goes. Like that, the, the big guys work on top, and they beat the ever-living daylights out of the two smaller guys. Um, the things that set the match apart are the hot crowd. It, it takes place in that venue. I, I think you guys might be from the Markethalle in Hamburg. It's this. It's that mm. amazing venue in Germany where there's, there's kind of tiered seating all around and it just creates this cauldron of noise. And like the, the noise that the fans make throughout this match, it's one of the most amazing atmospheres I've ever seen a wrestling match take place in. Um, there's violence in it. Like um, at one point, like there's wooden benches that the fans sit on. At one point, Walter just power bombs Axel Dieter Jr. through one of these wooden benches. And when he stands up, he he's just covered in blood and he bleeds so much. And like for me, anytime you get blood in a match, it just brings it to a different level. But the amount that this guy bleeds in this match like is unnatural. And then to cap it all off, there's a really emotional moment in the match where um, Axel Dieter Jr.'s father is actually sitting in the front row. And at one point they're doing a count out spot and he actually kind of, he kind of comes out from the crowd and picks up Dieter and carries him and puts him back into the ring. And just a little emotional moment that pulls it over the edge, you know what I mean? And all the time your eyes are kind of drawn to his father on the outside cheering his son on. And it's just, as I said, it's not a match that many people have seen, but like if people are talking about matches of the decade and that kind of thing, I would highly and strongly urge them to seek that match out, like, because it's, it's just an incredible hidden gem and definitely one of the, one of the, one of the, nicest surprises I ever got as a wrestling fan was to be rec- to re- recommended this match a few years ago because it's just incredible. Yeah, definitely. I remember you recommending this one before and I definitely need to go out my way to check it out. 100%, yeah. Um, and then number three, this is where my, my personal bias and my personal taste come in. It's it's the best match, in my opinion, in progress history. Uh, from Chapter 62 in 2018, it's Walter against Timothy Thatcher. And to my mind, like this, this is just everything I would want in a wrestling match. You know what I mean? It's probably the most violent match of the decade. I rewatched it only last night. I, I knew I was going to have it on the top 10 and I was rewatching it there in the last couple of nights and kind of thinking, how high can I put this match? 
And I had forgotten just how brutal it is. Like, like, like Walter, the job that Walter does on Timothy Thatcher, like his chest is literally bleeding after five minutes of this match. It's that thing again where you have people that are friends and respect each other in wrestling and they're kind of prepared to kind of go the extra step in terms of violence and in terms of what they do to each other. To me, this is just an incredible match. Like it's 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 efficient. It's it's not overly long. It's it's just everything I could possibly want in wrestling. Yeah, I remember. I've only seen the match the once on the VOD, but I remember absolutely loving it. I can't remember though. Is Glenn Joseph on commentary on this one? Oh, <laughs> uh, he is. And yeah, I remember that brought it down a, a touch too for me. But I do remember <laughs> the match being as brutal as you said and, and just really. <laughs> It, 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 it's, it's in spite of him and it's him and Callum Leslie and like after the match they're going on about art is violence and all this and you're just thinking <laughs> god like this must be a really good match for me to still like this in spite of the commentary <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I remember I absolutely loving it at the time it should, probably shouldn't surprise me it's on your list there Jamesy because it is it's a Jamesy match if there ever was one I just remember it feeling like a real fight I remember it like oh. feeling like it was like an advert for the ring camp brand, wasn't it? Really, like the two of them going out there, and, you know, in a progress setting that maybe isn't always the best setting for a match like that, and then just having like a a real fight with you know they looked genuinely angry with each other at points in the match, and they looked like they were genuinely trying to hurt each other, and that's kind of all you want out of a, a top wrestler match, isn't it? So yeah, that's a that's a Jamesy special for me. So I'm actually uh, shocked it's not number one, mate. <laughs> one of the funnier things is is some of the progress fans like who I, I doubt they have ever witnessed re- violence and wrestling like this before in their lives like and they're genuinely horrified like there's mm-hmm. people sitting in the front rows with their hands over their mouths you know what I mean as I said these wouldn't be wrestling fans who'd be watching their battle arts or their all 90s all Japan and that kind of thing I think they're more accustomed to kind of meme wrestling and comedy wrestling and then this ridiculously violent match happens in front of them like and it's like they're just completely beside themselves on how far they go in it you know what I mean so ah, just a great match like and as I said very much my kind of wrestling um, and then number two, uh, we're back to the, the Devil and Star Walter feud again. Um, and again, I'm a little bit surprised how high I put this match. It's the Devil and Walter 2 match from Scrappermania 5. Oh. When I re- like, Yeah, I, I would always have said that, that, that Devil and Walter 1 would have, would have been above it. But like I watched this again a couple of nights ago. This is a genuinely brilliant match. Like it's, yeah. it, it, I think what happens is it builds on the first match. So they've kind of set things up in the first match. And then you have those layers in the second match where they revisit it. You know what I mean? So, um, and then there's they both at, at different points in the match they take each other's hand out. So like Walter is trying to take Devlin's hand out because because of the, the four punch combo that that Devlin hurt him with in the first match, and then Devlin kind of replies by taking his hand out and trying to neutralize the fact that Walter can't throw those big chops anymore. You know what I mean? But to me, like this is just an amazing match. A red hot atmosphere in the stadium. As I said, a little bit surprised about how, by, by how much it gained on rewatch. And then the thing then, like I was considering how high I put it. And then the post-match, um, if you remember the post-match, Devlin wins and all the Irish wrestlers are in the ring celebrating mm-hmm. with him. And Walter kind of offers his hand and, he, and they shake hands and they kind of settle their part of the feud. Mm-hmm. And on the stage, Star is standing there watching the two of them. Yeah. And there's this little glance that Walter gives Star. And it's kind of just in that moment, there's so much in that moment. You have, you know that the story is going to continue and you know that Star is going to get involved again. But like you, you suddenly realize that God, 
Walter now respects Devlin and then he kind of gives Star that look and he goes like this guy just beat me and did what you couldn't do in 25 attempts and there's just just <laughs> just that that layers to it you know and it, oh. it leaves you it leaves you dying to see Devlin Walt Devlin Star then you know what I mean and it's just it's just perfect you know what I mean and like I, I, we have gushed about this rivalry and this three-way feud and how it'd been like it is the best thing in independent wrestling worldwide since since the ROH thing and it's those little layers and and like, I just think this one is a brilliant wrestling match in its own right. Yeah. And then when you when you add the storyline and the layers, it's the second best match of the decade for me. You know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, that... I completely agree. I mean, that was the, it's the only time I've been to Dublin for that show, and I oh, you were at that one, Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A brilliant evening, and like you said, it was everything I wanted it to be. I've been so hyped about them doing the match again after enjoying the first one so much, and after. Really getting, you know, really behind Jordan Devlin um, the previous year. And, yeah, just everything I wanted it to be. And just fantastic atmosphere. And definitely in my top three live matches of all time. I'd forgotten you were there, Martin. But, yeah, I'm jealous again. <laughs> I wish I was there for it. Cause, <laughs> like, this is one. Like, I when I did my top ten of the year for Grappled Worldwide, I didn't expect this one to place. I remember liking it. But I didn't. I thought this was of the three going to be the one that that falls out of my list. Um, just on rewatch, and I know you know I raved about it on our our end of year podcast. But I think it was even better when when I watched when I rewatched it. Like I said, there's like that ninety minute movie, and I think it's because of the matches. It's got the simplest story. It, you've got an underdog baby face with maybe a, you know a, a limb taken out fighting from underneath. You've got Walter as the big bully who's slowly losing it, and it's not like the WWE version of Walter where he can sometimes be a bit comedic and needs his goons to help him. He's someone who's dominated, but he's starting to fall apart. He's starting to lose. Therefore, he gets desperate. Therefore, he tries to leave. Therefore, you know he turns into an even bigger piece of shit. And you know you get the. I didn't love the uh, the Joker Bray moments when I rewatched it on VOD and coming out and sending Walter back in, but I can't say it didn't work because it really worked with the story. Played brilliantly into the finish. I think they went straight to the finish once they got back into the ring as well. And yeah, you mentioned Walter giving him respect right in front of David Starr. That was the thing I picked up on rewatch as yeah. well. Just the, just that little glance, you can just see it. It's oh, so subtle, and it's like because yeah. otherwise. Maybe that doesn't make sense. Walter's been such a stamping on flags yeah, and exactly. such a shit yeah. throughout the match. But then because Star's there, he's willing to give Devlin that little bit of respect. And yeah, I think that I think I'm the same as you, James. You think that put her over the edge. It ended up, I think, fifth on my overall ten for the year worldwide last year. And I didn't imagine it'd be in my top ten. I think that's one if people haven't rewatched, watch it again. because uh, it was great first time, and I thought it was even better second time. Absolutely, yeah. And then number one, um, I don't think it'll be much of a surprise. OTT again, it's the Devil and Star match from October just gone. The fifth anniversary show. Like, um, I was there in the building for that. The most incredible atmosphere I've ever witnessed at a wrestling show. Um, One of the best portrayals of pure hatred between two men in a wrestling ring I think I've ever seen. You know what I mean? Just I I heard Joe talking about it on on the Grapple podcast. They Mm. somehow managed to have an athletic brawl and that's the perfect description for it. You know what I mean? It was a brawl, but it wasn't it wasn't a kind of a, a mediocre walk and punch around the stadium or anything like that. Like Everything hit hard. They were still athletic. Everything was crisp. The pace that they wrestled at. um, This thing that was happening around me as I was watching the match where, you know, we've talked about number six on the list, Devlin and Walter, 
even even number two, where that that same stadium six months before had roared on Jordan Devlin, where he where, where he'd beaten Walter and he'd finally vanquished him. And now they're booing Jordan Devlin. Yeah. And just this 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 thing that's happening around me where I can't quite explain it. Um, but I find myself cheering for Star as well. You know what I mean? And you've been convinced to cheer for this guy by his ability on the microphone. And like again, you the video package adds to it. Um the, the, the you know the the point in the match where they just punch each other. Again, you guys talked about it on Grapple. Like that, that, that to me is maybe the moment of the decade in, in all of wrestling. Like just, you know, w- w- when you break down wrestling to its simple form, it's two people who hate each other and they want to punch each other in the face and really hurt each other. And that's what it degenerated into, you know. And I see people kind of making gifts of that and mocking it online. To me, like those punches were amazing. You know what I mean? I have no issue with them whatsoever. Like we talked in derogatory terms about, about the same exchange happening in base against Devlin on the NXT UK takeover show. And that's, that's not earned here. You've got 18 months of a storyline paying off in two guys, just wanting to hurt each other. And, and I just think it's, it's one of the most incredible matches I've ever seen. I never thought I would see something in person that would ever match Danielson McGuinness. And I still can't decide which is the better match after after this, after watching this again. You know what I mean? It's just a very, very special match. Um, the culmination of what I think is one of, if not the greatest story ever told in independent wrestling. And it was never really an option for me. Once, once I'd seen it, it was my match of the year. Once I'd watched all these other matches back, it was the only match for me that could possibly be them. I, I couldn't put anything above this. It just wouldn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, it's completely hard to disagree with you. It was absolutely fantastic. I think we've talked about it loads over the past few years. Yeah, exactly. For, good, for yeah. good reason. I mean, it is an absolutely fantastic, fantastic wrestling match. Match. No surprise. It's uh, the top of the decade. The best story of the decade uh, from arguably maybe the best promotion, at least of the second half of the decade, and the end of that great story. I think it's probably right that it's uh, your number one there, Jamesy. It's hard to Absolutely. argue with number one and certainly a fantastic list you put there together. There were just some honourable mentions I wanted to throw in there. Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Compile the list or anything. But, um, mm. I mean, we talked about Amelia Chris Hero against Shibata at Red Pro Global Wars 2019. Oh, yeah. Absolutely brilliant match. Especially the fire up spot from Shibata after Hero's been trying to bully him and just taking anything he's got him. <laughs> Jumping off my sofa for that bit, absolutely brilliant. And then. The following year, Global Wars 2017, Will Ospreay against Zack Sabre Jr., two of the best wrestlers, two of the best UK wrestlers of all time. Absolutely brilliant match there. Marty Skill against Will Ospreay from High Stakes 2016. Now, I was listening to you guys um, talk about how you were afraid to sometimes re-watch matches, or perhaps it might be mm. Joe Lemon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Live, and this is definitely one of those because one of the best <laughs> matches I have ever seen live. I mean, both men have probably surpassed this by now, but the whole crowd went crazy for this. I've never been at a show where going into the interval, everyone was high fiving each other going outside, everyone going absolutely crazy for the match. Uh, I mean, they matched up again at Progress a week later, but the Red Pro match obviously edged it for me with the live bias. And um, then they proceeded to have this match all over the world. Um, Mentioned it earlier, Matt Seidel against Will Ospreay, two out of three falls match from Summer Sizzler 2015. Obviously, this was when Ospreay was on the cusp of becoming a world star, and I thought Seidel did everything. Um, great, perfect opponent for him. Um, also, something, it's not a classic by any means, but probably one of the best 10-minute matches you'll ever see. Perfect introduction for a, a, someone coming into a, a promotion is 
Will Ospreay against Matt Riddle. I mean, precursor to Riddle oh, taking yeah. over from Hero as the import of the year in 2017. I thought it was just a great mash of styles. Um, yeah, were, mm. were you there live for that one, Ben, Will Ospreay against Matt Riddle? Yeah, I was going to say, that's one of my favourite live matches of all time. Uh, that's uh, That very, very sneakily be at the top of my list as well. Like, it was the first time I'd seen Riddle as well, like, in person. I'd seen bits of tape from him, you know, back when he maybe had the shorter hair and he hadn't quite perfected that uh, that Matt Riddle look. And my main memory is being there live and just seeing Riddle walk out and just thinking, this man is a superstar, just on first impression. And he won everybody over. And then they went out there and at that match, it was like, 12 minutes long, I think, and it was just a sprint. They had that awesome spot with Osprey. I think he ran up the wall of the ballroom and uh, did the moonsault onto Riddle, and they just went back and forth. It was a shootout for 12 minutes. They didn't stop for breath. And, yeah, I, I would honestly put it up there with with one of the best live matches I've ever seen. Uh, so, yeah, it definitely made my list, too. So, more of a moment than a, than, um, a specific match, but Travis Banks in Super Strong Style 16, 2017, I mean, remember him? He used to have good matches <laughs> at one point. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, and the finally Tyler Bate, yeah, perfect up, opponent in Tyler Bate. Great moment with him winning the tournament. But I mean, where is he now? I mean, that was sort of like the last big sort of like great Travis moment. Obviously, the title win he had wasn't, you know, didn't go down that well. And he's been sort of like treading water ever since. But yeah, I mean, he shared a bit of that fire. Was it the second um, UK tournament? The one that Zach Gibson won? Showed a bit bit of it there, but he never as good as he was in uh, in 2017, I didn't think. And then also, I know it didn't take place in England. It took place in America, and I know it's led to nothing good, but Talibate against Pete Dunne from NXT TakeOver Chicago. I mean, one match at this moment in time, two British guys stealing the show on a, on a really big American show with the crowd chanting UK. I mean, it made you proud for the scene, how far it, it it had come since the turn of the decade. Such a shame for all the stuff that's followed it. But yeah, just I remember that just really standing out for me for as a pivotal sort of like British wrestling moment of the decade. Back when we liked Pete Dunne, huh? Even <laughs> <laughs> uh, Riddle of some chemistry. I've been enjoying that. I enjoyed them on NXT last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any uh, honourable um, mentions you want to throw in, Benno? Yeah, quite. I'll probably echo pretty much your list, also James's list as well. Uh, big one that I feel like you know should should be in there: Vader and Will Ospreay. Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I would call that hoot of the decade. If you're talking about a match that's just unbelievable crack, I think that match is great crack. Oh, it is. I mean, it, it, it's famous and it's notable, but I do think it genuinely okay. It wasn't. It was good in some ways, technically, you know, Vader, obviously, his best days are, yeah. are behind him. But it feels important, you know, in the grand scheme of things that it happened. Yeah. It got a lot of attention on Red Pro, right or wrong, but yeah. a lot of attention on Osprey, right or wrong. It's a shame they couldn't maybe, you know, put the deal together to either do a rematch or do the tag they were planning with Pete Dunne uh, and maybe turn something more positive out of it. Osprey doing the job for a, a very, very aging uh, Vader, uh, but definitely memorable. Um, I mean, yeah, as far as great matches, yeah, Osprey Riddle was definitely one uh, high on my list. Uh, Osprey Marty, both from Rev Pro and Progress, pretty much over that that two week period. Uh, Chachik get banged and, uh, and high stakes. They, uh, they, they both of those matches uh, really depended on my mood. I could pick either of them um, as better than the other. But I don't know. The Progress match maybe had the, the gimmicks. And it had a, they kind of went with a weapons, no no DQ and any weapons allowed kind of step, which didn't really suit either man's 
strengths you wouldn't think and was a little bit odd but i think they were trying to make it different than the rev pro match and and it did it was different it stood out and it was a big moment in its own with scale winning osprey havoc obviously uh you could i could say osprey zach saber jr you could say when and i could say anytime they're in the ring and together yeah. <laughs> there's that in there riddle and shibata uh, you know, talk about matches that like did that happen? Like it's almost yeah. like it doesn't feel real, does it? At this point, uh, but it did, and it was massive, and it was one of the early matches we uh, that we covered on uh, British Audio Wrestling. So that's up there. But yeah, other than that, the obvious, the the big WXW Carrot main events, the OTT matches, James he's mentioned. Maybe locally, I put up uh, Chris Masters and uh, Chris Travis. Would you believe had an incredible match, one of my uh, early favorites uh, at the start of the decade in uh, in PCW but it was two out of three falls Travis bled buckets uh, and they brawled all all over that uh, incredible uh, venue that the, the PCW run the, uh, the the nightclub it was called a Labyrinth Night at the time uh, and that was absolutely uh, one of my favourite live matches uh, from the decade but yeah to be fair there's a lot of stuff there isn't there from a from a wealth of different promotions like imagine trying to do this podcast a decade before we'd be we'd be talking about uh, I don't know international showdown and trying to get some Britishness out of that and talk, <laughs> yeah. maybe the king yeah what would we have so it's genuine it says something to the scene that yeah james you can put a tent together like that and you know me and martin probably aren't even scratching the surface with some of our yeah mentions too and um i mean speaking of did this match happen um mustache mountain against suzuki gun that was a cracking tag match as well and oh yeah 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 just before it stopped being possible kind of wasn't it yeah suzuki laughing off any tyler bait offense I enjoyed that. Uh, so I was going to open the floor and uh, make it easy for everyone and talk about wrestlers that have excelled, but I think I'll make it a bit harder and uh, give you a top two. Who the top two wrestlers of the past decade, Jamesy? Um, European wrestlers, I would say pretty easily, I would say Walter and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, like, Walter is on that top ten list. He has seven of the ten matches on that list I just called out there. So, like... If a guy has seven of the top 10 matches of the decade, you have to say he's up there. Um, and then I would just say with Zach, there's there's an unbelievable body of like, like what like what Zach would have over other people is that Zach has a full decade kind of as as a rounded, polished wrestler. You know what I mean? Like he has. He toured Noah. Um, and had some good matches there, like junior tag champions and that kind of thing with Ogawa. Um, he he could genuinely claim to be one of, if not the top guy on the US Indies for that kind of 16, 2016, 2015, 16, 17 period. PWG champion, Evolve champion. You think about the matches he had there, like with Roderick Strong, with Hero. Um, he has a decade-long rivalry with... Walter, where all their matches are amazing. Anytime he wrestled David Starr, it was amazing. Um, he then goes to New Japan, and like he genuinely is treated as a top guy in New Japan as well. Um, great rivalry with Tanahashi, great rivalry with Ibushi, good matches with Okada. Kind of was able to fit in with that New Japan style and bring something extra to it. Um, I just feel like for the whole decade, he was just churning out. Like if you're given star ratings, the amount of times that Zack Sabre Jr. hit four to four point five stars must be unbelievable. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's like there's a tag match in Evolve with Sammy Callahan and Hero and Tommy End, one of the best 
indie matches of the decade. The match where he wins the title from Evol- from Thatcher and Evolve is one of my favourite matches of the decade. The match, the title match he has with Chuck Taylor and PWG, like it's just I could keep naming matches all night long for him. You know what I mean? So um, I think those two guys, like they have a full ten years of, of of work that they can point to, and to me, those two guys will be head and shoulders above anyone else. I think for the decade. I, I can't. I don't think I could argue too strong with that. Uh, I think uh, the Zack Sabre point, especially of you know that that decade worth of work, you know, in the in the doldrums, even in you know the early two thousands, he was killing it everywhere he went, yeah. and he only got better as the years gone on and the decade went on. Maybe it's a taste thing, but I think I think I'd have Zack Sabre in there. I'd consider Walter, and I think it maybe it's maybe just because the second half of the decade for him was so strong, but I, I think I personally have Will Ospreay in there. Uh, yeah, I think for fair. me, yeah. when I'm, I think maybe when I'm more putting favourite matches together of the decade, his name just comes up over and <laughs> over and over again. He, for me, you know, Zack Sabre was already around. He wasn't the Zack Sabre that he is now, but he was around at the start of the decade. I feel like if if this decade of Brit Res has created anything to, to, to you know, put its, stamp its legacy on, the creation of Will Ospreay as a genuine star as a one of the best wrestlers in the world as one of the best wrestlers in new japan as a featured wrestler in new japan all the way from his beginnings probably you know start of the decade will osprey he, he was wrestling but he was wrestling in his backyard you know what i mean and they get he got himself into progress he got himself into rev pro and he got himself over in both of those places as a very very raw flippy flyer and through the brit i think he he pulled everyone up around him similar to zach and walter did and everyone around him had better matches with him but he improved over time as well he got so much better both from you know working in brit res and you know primarily from going over to japan as well so for me as far as like a success story and something we can look at and look we made that in these last 10 years i think i, I think i'd sneak will osprey in there with zach saber jr for me they would be maybe be the uh the one and two of uh of wrestlers for uh, for Europe over the last over the tens. Yeah, I mean Will Ospreay definitely. For, I mean, you could just take his uh, 2019 and instantly <laughs> yeah. like, you know, for the decade. But um, also for me, and I've always been a massive fan of him. And um, there's got to be Jordan Devlin just because of the career turnaround he had. I'm sure the <laughs> early OTT shows I used to watch from uh, the Tivoli and whatever, the fans were flipping him off and chanting shit Finn Balor at him and that. And then the career <laughs> turnaround he had when. The match with Moose, you know, I mean, who's had a yeah. good match with Moose? That's the one. <laughs> that was the moment. That, that was the moment where, where, where he just broke out. That yeah. that that match again, where he leapt from the balcony back or from the the stage onto the thing. That was where it all changed for him. Yeah, yeah. and then well, from then he's been just uh, apart from when he took uh, Finn Balor on next to UK. But let's talk about <laughs> that. He's been the highlight of like pretty much every card for me that he's been on. Obviously, the feud he's had gone going with Walter and Star. Even when he's uh, appeared in Progress, had some of their best matches of 2019 against the likes of Ilya Dragunov. Um, his match against Osprey that was absolutely it, 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 um, in progress. Yeah, I was about to say it was an OTT. Then his match against uh, Osprey in, in progress was brilliant. Just any card he's been on just has great matches with everybody, and I, and I really feel like um, he's definitely um, up there with the, some of the best wrestlers in Europe. And I don't feel like um, NXT UK has um, held him back as much as it might have done with other people because he's still like pushing, obviously, to be featured in OTT and. And other promotions. So, yeah, definitely Jordan Devlin and Will Ospreay. And, uh, yeah, throw Zack Sabre Jr. in if we were doing a top three. So, um, I mean, 
just before we uh, round out the show, I just wanted to ask others that you thought had tons of potential and never quite lived up to it. I, I mean, it was a name I wanted to throw in here, but I never thought he had tons of potential. But a uh, good hand on the mid card, and then Lucha Forever happened. Was Ryan Smile? I mean, what the fuck ever happened to him? I mean, he was huge in, in the early days of OTT. He didn't even design the logo for him, I think, Jamesy. Yeah, he was a big deal. Like, and he was the, he was the, if 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 Pete Dunne was the was the top guy, say in the twenty fifteen in the twenty sixteen seventeen period, then Ryan Smile was 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 the guy underneath him. You know what I mean? And he was a guy that could always be relied on to have good matches. Um, and as you said, and then Lucha Forever happened, and the whole thing just collapsed. And I don't know was it personal reasons or what happened with him, but he's disappeared off the face of the earth. But yeah, one of the what ifs I'd say of the decade. You know what I mean? One of the guys that um, you wonder in a different lifetime what what would have happened to him. Like you know because there were things he needed to improve on but there was something there like and he did for a while there he had a genuine connection with Irish fans as well and that's not a thing you can kind of manufacture easily you know I mean if we're going with uh, disappointing considering where we thought you'd be can I nominate the entire roster of NXT UK (laughs) (laughs) I mean they all look alike yeah We've all got that same NXT UK beard, so they kind of fit. Uh, I'd say Mark Andrews for me. Like he's, if I was going to yeah, name him, he's that the one long, of, yeah, yeah, he's he's like the poster boy for. I thought he'd have the same career trajectory as Will Ospreay. You know, like you said, Mark Will Ospreay. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world, having the best matches in the world this year. I, I would I would put Will Ospreay's like you said, his 2019 against Mark Andrews' entire career. Uh, Mark Andrews had a very. I'm not saying he didn't have good years, but. I, I think well past the peak of Mark Andrews at this point, and I really thought he was going to be a game changer. I thought, you know, when they did the WWE UK tournament and they announced all those names, and he wasn't in the list because I think he was still signed to TNA, and managed to get him out of his TNA deal, and he got signed up. I genuinely thought he was going to be a big deal in that brand. The reason that mid card schmoz of nothing with your Legeros and your Joseph Connors and your whoever else's kind of. I know they've been trying to do this this tag run with Flash Morgan Webster, and in fairness, you know he's got a little shot on NXT. But after they after they get bored of his tag team, he's going to be right back in that mix with those lads. Um, and he's just he's just a face of many. I think I just don't see. I think he, we've hit the peak for Mark Andrews, and I don't I don't see him quite ever hitting the uh, the levels we were maybe hoping for. And also while I'm while I'm throwing NXT UK uh, under the bus, a shout out for Travis Banks too, as someone who yeah should be a world beater right now should be doing best of the Super Juniors tours and should be, you know, at the very least uh, on NXT proper or or the very least, you know, prominence in, a, in another Japanese company. Uh, and nevertheless, he's again, he's one of those uh, mid-card NXT UK guys with not a huge amount of upside. Yeah, and another one that that's and like and again, you could name most of the NXT UK roster. Another one that springs to mind is TK Cooper. Yeah, there, that's there, there was a time when he, that guy, was all set to be the biggest star in British wrestling. Like, if you think back to the reactions, remember the reaction he got when he came. Remember he went away because his visa expired, and he yep. got it all sorted, and he came back to the ballroom. I think it was in a surprise, and the reaction that guy got. You know what I mean? And I remember talking about him probably 2016 as a guy who had the look, who had the charisma, who had the athletic ability to be. He could go as you know, he he could make it all the way in wrestling. You know what I mean? And look where he is now. Like you, you could say he's doing good stuff in Riptide and that kind of thing. Like, but in a scene now where there's no huge stars, 
TK Cooper should surely be the top guy. You know what I mean? And he just isn't. You know what I mean? And whatever the reasons are for it, I'm not sure. But like to me, I think back to the high hopes I had for TK like a few years ago and where he is now. Like, and he's definitely a guy who just hasn't done what I hoped he would do. Well, just to yeah. take your two picks there, because um, I remember <laughs> WrestleMania weekend in Orlando and going to a bunch of um, shows around there, and I remember him and Travis Banks had two matches with it with the highlight of the weekend, and I've never yeah. seen two people get instantaneously over with like a foreign audience, and them two did, and they absolutely mm-hmm. tore it up and had two of the best matches of the weekend. And I do agree that um, T.K. Cooper is doing good stuff in Riptide and Breed and showing the potential that he's always had, but like you said, James, he's just on that other level where he, he could have he, he could have been a, a lot higher than probably yeah, a superstar yeah, yeah exactly it, it feels like damaged goods at this point i think that's yeah. the thing with him that's like you, just... you know he can do good things in a riptide but i just feel like you know progress i think the well's poisoned uh ever since they tried remember they tried to do that three-way few within banks and brooks that just didn't work the whole heel face dynamic was off and he just never got any momentum going rev pro have been trying with him but it's just not working yeah, I don't know what that what that lad has to do differently to to stand out again. But I genuinely forgot how highly I raised them. Like that, like yeah. say that some of those tag matches, that match with with Walt, that that ring camp tag oh, where Walter murdered him, and he was the great. I mean, they were supposed to be heels at the time, but he almost became an underdog babyface uh, in that match. But his performance there of trying to stand up to Walter and sell him for him, I again they're live in the ballroom thought this lad's going to be a star and yeah mm. sadly it, it seems we were wrong but he is still young enough and yeah he is still maybe promising enough in other places that maybe we shouldn't write him off entirely yeah i mean i'd, I'd not even considered him in that one but yeah completely um such a shame about that but um i suppose uh to wrap up here uh, like we said not a totally comprehensive list or anything it could we could do like 10 shows about sort of like you know each period of the decade and stuff but i think uh, a good overview from everything and uh sorry if we missed some of your faves so um before we head out of here um plugs i mean i'm on thunderstruck this week with wh so you double dose of me uh we're talking a brilliant match from uh 96 between otani and liger so check that out i think that drops on saturday and uh benno and james any plugs before we head out of here yeah sure um from me uh i mentioned a couple of times on the show we uh, we did our top 10 matches of the year podcast on on grapple talking worldwide uh, what were our top 10 matches in in countdown form um so that was a, a couple of weeks ago you can uh, can check that out uh, grapple.podbean.com or grappleapp.com the new website uh, grapple gareth has, has put together and he joined us on that podcast too and then yeah this week we've just gone gone back to our usual two hours and nonsense uh that uh yeah you may or may not be your bag but you can check that out uh grapple apple.podbean.com and uh, listen to us talk about the uh, the world of wrestling uh, with some uh, Brit Res mixed in too. Yeah, nothing major to plug at the moment, guys. Just to follow me on Twitter at jamesy underscore 2015. If you're interested in, in going back, I know the Christmas period is quite busy for podcasts. Uh, I did an episode of Thunderstruck with WH as well two or three weeks ago where we looked at the Liger-Sasuke match from 1994. So yeah, apart from that, that's it really, yeah. And of course, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. Leave us feedback on the forum and thanks for listening and we'll be back on the 7th of February. So we'll check you out then.